one semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about a Hollywood stalker. And I'll be talking about the disappearance of Chris Hobson. Hi, everyone. Welcome um, to Let's Go to Court. <laughs> I thought we were going to like throw it back and forth a little bit. No, but I you was just sat there like a deer in the headlights. I had another thing I was going to oh, say. Oh, okay. Which is that I'm Kristen Tits <laughs> filling in for Kristen Pitts. I just feel like my voice sounds so different right I know. now. Yes. Um, so I had a bit of a cold. <sighs> I sound a lot better than I did a few days ago. Yeah. So I started to tell you earlier the game I was playing with Norman. But I would have him close his eyes, and then I would say things like, when I was your age, we didn't have smartphones. (laughs) (laughs) And then have him guess how old I was. (laughs) You know, Brandy, when I was a kid, we played outside. Oh, wow. We didn't play with video games, okay? (laughs) So I'm strictly better than everyone. (laughs) I like it. I like the, I like Kristen tits. (laughs) Kristen Tits is a pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> she's this close to retiring. Yeah. And she's had it up to here. <laughs> she wears high-waisted pants, not because they're in fashion, but because she's always worn high-waisted That's pants. Right. <laughs> no, this is a special episode. This it's- is our anniversary episode. That's right. Episode 52. We made it. Looks like we made it. Oh. We did not plan that. That was <laughs> creepy. I don't think you have to tell people we didn't plan it. Um, so I think we should start by you telling uh, the story of the cake that oh, you okay. got. Yeah. So um, we to celebrate, we had cake. I took a picture of it. I'll post it on our social media. Um, by the way, we didn't eat it on the podcast because we thought that would be disgusting. Yeah, yeah. So we already ate it. Before we recorded. Um, so I went and pay, I ordered the cake online um, at this like bunt cake place. It's such a good place. And you can pick out the cake and you can pick out like the decorations and whatever. So I got lemon cake because I know you and I love it. I was really nervous because I didn't know if Norm liked lemon, but I I took a gamble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turns out he just likes cake Cake in general. In general he didn't care. Um, so I picked that out, pick out like a teal flower for the top of it, and then you can pick out a banner. And so I picked out a banner that said, congratulations. And then you can customize like little flags that go in it. So um, you just put in online what you wanted to say and they make them. And so I put in, I picked one that said LGTC, one that said 52 episodes. Great, whatever. So I go to pick up the cake on my way here to record. And I, they bring out the cake. Great, looks great. I pick it up. I go to leave. I look at the banner on it. It says happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what? And so I put it down. I'm like, I'm, uh, this says happy birthday. This isn't a birthday cake. It was supposed to say congratulations. And then like have like these little custom flags on it. And they're like, oh yeah. Um, you should have noticed that there's a note on our website somewhere that says, um, not all locations can do the custom banners. Um, so we just replaced it with one that we had. <laughs> Which is my favorite solution ever. <laughs> Congratulations, must be someone's birthday. It's going to have to be somebody's birthday. Sorry. <laughs> 
So they, um, they, I was like, well, it's nobody's birthday. So, so they took off that and I, they let me hand write on some flags. So it looked real cute, but would have been better if they could have done what I asked for, but I'm fine. I'm you guys, fine. she is fully crying right now. It's delicious cake. It was, it was really good. We also drank champagne, which we're still drinking right yeah, now. Yeah, we're still, so. still doing the champagne. Yes. Yeah. This is a good anniversary so far. Um, I answered the door wrapped totally in saran wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Tawanda! (laughs) And boy, was Brandy thrilled. (laughs) Well, shall we get started? Do it. Take it away. Talk about a uh, stalker. This... Well, it's not a lighthearted stalker. Yeah, I I was about to say this sucks, but I feel like it goes without saying... Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple stocking cases. Okay. I am. I bet you know this one. I'm, I'm curious if I know it. Okay. So, Rebecca Schaefer was at the beginning. Oh, should we turn that off, you think? No, I, well, I bet it's fine. I don't know. Do you think we need to turn it down? It's probably okay. It's probably fine. Okay. If you hear a buzzing in the back, it's this air purifier because I am a sensitive bitch. And <laughs> my eyes run like the mighty Mississippi if I don't have the air filter on. Rebecca Schaefer was at the beginning of a very promising career. She was 21, gorgeous, and talented. She was from Eugene, Oregon, and when she was in high school, she got into modeling. She did some catalog work and decided that that was what she wanted to do with her life. So after high school, she moved to New York to become a model. The only problem was she was 5'7". Like a little too short. short for a model. But that didn't really matter. Because just a few months after she moved to New York, she got a recurring role in the soap opera One Life to Live. Mm. I've never watched soap operas. Neither have I. But your dad was into them, right? For years. So my dad um, owns a sign business. Uh And for years it was all men. That worked there. And every day at lunch, they would all get together and watch The Bold and the Beautiful. That brings yes. joy to my heart. <laughs> so my sister works there now. Um, and she has carried on the tradition of watching The Bold and the Beautiful. But nobody watches it with her anymore. She just watches it. Well, that's just sad. <laughs> by herself. <laughs> so Rebecca had this recurring role on One Life to Live. And over time, she just found more success acting than modeling. And for someone who was pretty new to the business, I'd say she was kicking ass. Yeah. She got a role in the Woody Allen movie Radio Days. Uh-huh. Her part was mostly cut out, but still, I think yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah. Then she was the cover girl for Seventeen magazine. And then she landed a role on a sitcom for CBS. We used to read the shit out of Seventeen magazine. Okay. Do you remember YM too? Yes. I, I mean, I loved magazines. Yes. I remember when we would go like on our camping trips and stuff. Like, yes. we had that suit. Kyla had that suitcase that uh-huh. was like full of magazines, and we just pass them around the car. And it showed because our hair was wonderful, <laughs> our makeup was perfectly applied, <laughs> and we all had boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> the show was called My Sister Sam. Rebecca got. Huh? I don't think I've ever heard of it. Most people haven't. Yeah. Um, it wasn't on for very long, but it. Let her kind of rub elbows with some pretty big people. Yeah. So Rebecca got the role of Patty Russell, 
who goes to live with her sister, Sam, Mm -hmm. after their parents die. This was a huge deal for her career. She got to act alongside Pam Dauber, who would later go on to play Mindy in Mork and Mindy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Heard of that one. Uh, Yeah, that (laughs) (laughs) With a lot of these things, I, like, Googled until Uh I found something I knew. So, right off the bat, My Sister Sam was a hit. Mm -hmm. More eyes were on Rebecca than ever before. And unfortunately, around this time, 19-year-old, out-of-work jack-in-the-box janitor Robert John Bardo became a big fan of her work. Okay. Yeah. I think if you're um, out of work as a jack-in-the-box janitor, you're no longer a jack-in-the-box janitor. My favorite part about all of these articles (laughs) is like, Every article called him an unemployed fast food worker. I agree with you. Yeah. If you're unemployed. That's not like no. a career. No. He doesn't have certifications in. You can be an unemployed nurse. Yes, because you have certifications. <gasps> yes. You mean unemployed hairstylist because you yes. have a license and a certification. But if you're, I don't, I. I what about an you- unemployed YouTube script editor? Ooh. You can't. I'm I'm in the same category as yeah, unemployed Jack in the Box janitor. Yeah, I think you have to hold some kind of certification in a field, or but you could be you could be an out of work journalism major that describes like all journalism <laughs> majors. <laughs> so Robert's a huge fan of Rebecca, and that's a really scary thing yeah. because Robert was a stalker. Hmm. How, did he have a history of stalking? Oh, yeah. Ooh. So, let's get into that. The only reason at this time that he was really obsessed with Rebecca Schaefer was because he had been stalking the child actress and peace activist Samantha Smith, but that all stopped when Samantha died in a plane crash in 1985. Wow. And Robert actually believed that he had somehow caused that plane crash to happen I don't know. But anyway, he was obsessed with Samantha. She dies. Then he moves on to Rebecca. Great. He sounds super stable. Super duper stable. So now he's moved on to Rebecca. But this is the mid-1980s. And lucky for him, stalking was not a crime in the United States. It wasn't a crime anywhere in the United States. Yeah. So Robert traveled from his home in Tucson, Arizona to L.A. to visit Rebecca on the set of My Sister Sam. Yeah, but it's not like she was like, hey, come out and visit me. No. This was a surprise visit Oh yes. by someone she did not know. And did not care to know. Yeah. Like, he'd written her a bunch of letters, and I think her, like, fan mail service sent him something back, and he mm. just took that to mean that, oh, That's you That's typically know. how stalking works, yeah. Yeah. They, like you make eye contact with some person and one they imagine yes. something from it or like you yeah. wear red and they're like, ah, oh, yes, that's our color. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so creepy. Is it creepier Kristen with the voice? Tits. Yes. Kristen Tits <laughs> is so creepy. Why did I say Kristen Tits? I don't know. It was an odd choice. <laughs> well, right. too late now. Hindsight's 2020. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> I think you're the tits. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So he arrives on the set with a big bouquet of flowers and a five-foot teddy bear. Wow. Wow. Too much. Yeah. yeah. Too much. The big-ass teddy bear. Yeah. Whew. How'd he get it there? Oh, here's the thing. I think he... I mean, 
I think that they sent him back on a bus, but surely you don't get on a bus with, with a, a five, five foot, foot teddy, teddy bear. bear. These are the things I don't know. It just seems like a nightmare. <laughs> oh, maybe he bought. Okay. He yeah, bought he the probably, five foot. Yeah. Teddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't bring that. Okay. Yeah. Probably not. Duh. <laughs> what am I thinking? I'd be a terrible stalker. <laughs> Like, I'm going to blend in <laughs> my papa teddy bear on the bus from Tucson to L.A. <laughs> so, you know, he gets there with his stuff and he's like, I'm here to see Rebecca Schaefer. And the Warner Brothers security team was like, uh, dude, no way. Yeah. You need to leave. Robert was pissed. Mm-hmm. By this point, he felt entitled, entitled to Rebecca's time. And he felt like they had a special connection. Oh, no. A month went by. Okay, this next part is controversial. <gasps> so, everything I saw, like... Does he kick a puppy? No. <laughs> everything I saw on, like, the current internet, like Wikipedia yeah. and, like, stuff that's currently been written, yeah. maybe based on Wikipedia, says that he came back to the studio a month later, this time with a knife, and was turned away. Okay. So obviously I included that in the script and was yeah. like, whoa, that's crazy. But then when I went on newspapers.com and started reading articles from the trial, mm-hmm. none of them mentioned the knife okay. or the second trip back. And I feel like surely that would have been mentioned because that's a huge deal. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Could be right. Could be wrong. Wonderful. Anyway. It at least adds a little flair. It adds some flair. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to look that up on Wikipedia. I want to see. You couldn't have done that before. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to see like what citation they have on that. All right, I'll just sit over here while you do your research. <laughs> <laughs> Where is that? Okay, so it's not on his Wikipedia page. It's on her Wikipedia mm. page, and it's. Um, is there a citation with yeah, it? Yeah, the citation, but it's a citation for a pretty long passage, and it's back to a book that I didn't read. Oh, so, okay. who knows? Anyway. I'm glad mm. that really cleared things up. <laughs> yeah, sure did. Are you glad we took that time out? <laughs> so, at any rate, yeah, he goes back to Arizona, and he starts nurturing his obsession with other stars. Madonna, Tiffany, mm. Debbie Gibson. He mm. starts to get kind of obsessed with them. I think we're alone now. Doesn't seem to be anyone around. That was one of the kind first of a, CDs I owned. Kind of a creepy song when we're talking uh, about stalking. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first one? Yeah, Tiffany. Uh, so I got like uh, kind of my first one. For my 10th birthday, uh-huh. I believe it was, I got a mini CD player. Right. Which it would have been 96. So. No, I remember it. Yeah, they I were rem- like, it was like pretty early days of CD players. It was at your dad's house, right? No, it was at my mom's. Oh, well, then no, I don't remember yeah, it. Yeah, it was at my mom's. Um, so I got this little mini CD player with these speakers uh-huh. and five CDs. That's a good gift. Tiffany, mm-hmm. MC Hammer. Yeah. New Kids on the Block. Yes. I can't remember what the other two Ace were. Ace of Base. I don't think so. Casey had Ace of Base. So we did listen to Ace of Base yeah. a lot, but I don't think it was mine. Kyla and I had Ace of Base. Yeah. Yeah. What were the other two? I can't remember. Stay tuned till the <laughs> end. <laughs> so meanwhile, my sister Sam gets renewed for a second season. But about halfway through season two, the ratings drop and CBS cancels the show. So mm-hmm. that kind of sucked. But, yeah. Re- but Rebecca managed to find more work. She got a role in the dark comedy 
scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills. Yeah, that was my reaction too. We're shaking our heads. Uh, She got a small role in the movie The End of Innocence. Nope. Again, more head shaking. (laughs) She also starred in a sci-fi made-for-TV movie called Out of Time, which weirdly starred Bill Maher. That's weird. Yeah, strange stuff. But anyway, so she's doing well. She's continuing to get work. And in the summer of 1989, scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills came out in theaters. Robert, of course, went to see it. And he was livid with what he saw. She kissed somebody in it. So in the movie, there's a scene where she's in bed with another actor. (gasps) Yeah. So he lost it. He felt that Rebecca should be punished for becoming another Hollywood whore. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. Oh. Creepy. So Robert decided that he should be the one to punish Rebecca. Of course he did. But how? Every time he got near her... Security would take him away. And this was before the internet, so it was really hard to figure out yeah. where she lived, you know, all those creepy yeah. details. <clears throat> How old do I sound right now? You sounded pretty old right before you just cleared your throat. <laughs> <laughs> now I sound 17. <laughs> took some years off. That f- hawking that phlegm really yeah. took some years oh. off. <laughs> so he took inspiration from another celebrity stalker. I bet you've heard this story, too, because this is another famous celebrity okay. stalking. Several years earlier, in March of 1982, a man named Arthur Richard Jackson became obsessed with the actress Teresa Saldana. She'd been in the movies Raging Bull and Defiance. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he decides, I need to see her. I need to be around her. So that creep hired a private investigator. <gasps> Yeah. The investigator was able to track down the unlisted phone number for Teresa's mom. Oh, my gosh. So he gives that to Arthur. Arthur calls Teresa's mom, and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Martin Scorsese's assistant, and I need some help. I'm trying to get in contact with Teresa. See, we're working on a film right now in Europe, and we want her to replace this actress that we've got. So could you give me her home address? That'd really help me out. Oh, my God. I know. So Teresa's mom was like, sure. (gasps) And she gave him the address. No. I know. I mean, she didn't know any better, but. No, she didn't. Yeah. I I assume he was pretty convincing. Oh, yeah. So a little while later, Teresa's mom called her and was like, hey, I talked to Martin Scorsese's assistant. I gave him your address. But Teresa's like, What? A little while after that, Teresa got a call from her agent, Selma Rubin. And Selma said, hey, I keep getting these weird phone calls from some guy who's trying to get your address. So Teresa was obviously freaked out. Mm -hmm. She called the police. But the police were like, calm down. It's just a fan. Yeah. Because stalking's not illegal. Yeah. Stalking at this point is not not illegal. Most people didn't even really know it existed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For about a week after her mom gave out her address, Teresa was very cautious. But then nothing happened. What she did not know was that by this point, he'd been stalking her for 18 months. Holy shit. Yeah. 
Then, on March 15, 1982, Arthur was watching Teresa's apartment. A little before 10 a.m., she walked out. She was on her way to a music class, so she walked up to her car, put her key in the lock, and she felt this weird presence behind her. She turns around, and right there in broad daylight, Arthur stabbed her 10 (gasps) times with a five-inch knife. Oh, my gosh. So she starts screaming for help, and luckily a delivery man was nearby, saw the whole thing. So he came running, and he tackled Arthur. And Teresa ran, bleeding, back into her apartment, and her husband called an ambulance. The attack was brutal. He stabbed her so hard that he bent the knife. At one point, her heart stopped. She lost a ton of blood. She live? Yeah. (gasps) She was in surgery for four hours. She needed 26 pints of blood. And she had, obviously, a terrible, very long recovery. But Arthur wasn't hard to catch. Police grabbed him, and he was charged with attempted murder and inflicting great bodily injury. He received what at the time was the maximum sentence for his crimes. Twelve years. Holy fucking shit. A few months after the attack, Teresa did an interview with People magazine, and she talked about how the attack had changed her. She said, I do not give my phone number to anyone. I do not let anyone know where I live. If someone wants to reach me for a job, it's strictly through my agent. And now that this has happened, I plan to enroll in a self-defense class and to take karate. I now do things with other people and always have someone with me. I'm not paranoid, but I am very, very careful. Oh my Mm. gosh. Teresa became an advocate for crime victims, and she worked really hard to raise awareness about stalking. But it was difficult. In the years following her attack, although a lot of people became aware of stalking, no laws were passed. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, that delivery guy who tackled Arthur, Mm -hmm. afterward he was like so inspired that he quit his job and became a police officer. (gasps) Yeah, isn't that kind of cool? That is cool. So... Back to Robert John Bardo. With no laws to stop him, he just took a page out of Arthur's book. He said, hey, Arthur hired a private investigator. I should probably do the same thing. If I want Rebecca's address, that's the way to go. So he found a private investigator in Tucson, paid the guy 300 bucks to give him Rebecca's home address. It was a really simple job. They got her address from the DMV, which was legal at the time, oh and handed gosh. it over to Robert. Yeah. Then Robert told his older brother, hey, I'm too young to legally buy a gun, but I'd really like one. Here's some money. Will you buy one for me? And the older brother was like, sure thing. <sighs> that was a weird noise. No. <laughs> yeah. That's how, that was like an, an outward expression of how weird that made me feel. Yeah, it makes me feel really there. weird, too, because he did not have a history of mental stability. And yeah. so he goes to his brother, was like, could I, I really like a, a gun? Oh, yeah. great, great. Ugh. So Robert went to L.A. with Rebecca's address, his new gun and a copy of The Catcher in the Rye. Which 
coincidentally, was the same book that um, Mark Chapman, who is the guy who killed yeah. John Lennon, yeah. Lennon, you know, once he killed John Lennon, he just sat, sat there, there and waited read. Yeah, yeah, and read Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. On July 18th, 1989, he found Rebecca's apartment and checked with some neighbors to confirm that she actually lived there. So this sounds creepy as hell. He was walking around her, neighbor, her neighborhood with a manila envelope, and he'd stop people, and he'd pull out Rebecca's picture and be like, does she live around here? Oh, my gosh. And for whatever and no reason... no one was like, hey, there's a fucking creep walking around here and called the police? Yeah, no one did that. Ugh. So the morning of July 18th was an important one for Rebecca. She was scheduled to meet with director Francis Ford Coppola about getting a role in The Godfather 3. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's Casey's birthday, by the way. <laughs> July 18th. It's very important to note. Everyone, <laughs> are you writing this down? <laughs> what you, was it, 1989? Yeah. That would have been her fifth birthday. Um, you always let people know when the dates... I know, I like it when they're... I like when the dates correspond with something. <laughs> Makes it easier to remember. This is true. <laughs> and there will be a quiz. At yeah, the end of absolutely. This. So she was getting ready for that meeting, and Robert shows up at her door. The intercom was broken, so she had to go down and like meet him physically at the door. Which I cannot imagine what this was like. But you know, she goes down there, and he, there's just this guy who she doesn't know, Ugh. this 19 year old guy, and he's like, "Oh, I'm a big fan." Blah 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 blah. And she was like, "Okay, thanks." You know, all mm-hmm. right, goodbye. Yeah. You know. So he leaves. He goes to a nearby diner, has some breakfast, and just pie. I don't know. But wouldn't it be fitting if he had the apple pie with the cheddar cheese on top? Yeah. Which is what all creeps enjoy. Yes. So then, after he's finished eating, he decides he wants to go back to Rebecca's apartment. Mm, It's not good. Yeah. He goes back, knocks on the door, and this time Rebecca's wearing a robe because, you know, she's getting ready to go to this meeting. And... Believe it or not, she's not as polite as she was the first time. Well, yeah, because now duh. there's a fucking creep at her door. Well, and I imagine like the first time someone shows up like yeah. that, you're so taken off guard. Oh, yeah, that you're exactly. kind of like, oh, hi, thanks. Yeah. Okay, bye. And now you're like, holy shit. But yeah, he shows up like an hour later. You're yeah. like, get the hell away from me. At that point, he took out his gun and shot her in the chest. Ugh. After he murdered Rebecca... Robert. She died? Yeah. I mean, it was it was the chest. Uh, yeah. Well, fucking Teresa was stabbed 20 times or whatever, and Ten she times. lived. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I watched a little bit of her on YouTube. She was really talented. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really sad to think about, like, where she mm-hmm. might have been. Because she hadn't been acting for long, but I feel like she had a pretty damn good resume. Yeah. So, after Rebecca dies, Robert hightails it back to Tucson. And immediately, police began looking for the murderer. When they talked to people in Rebecca's neighborhood, a bunch of them were like, Oh, yeah, Uh, there was a weird guy asking about her. He had a picture, I had a manila envelope. He was wearing a yellow polo. Excellent. They described his vehicle, too. They all kind of thought he was super weird. Yeah. And later, someone saw him running away. So, police have descriptions of the guy, but now he's in Arizona. And that's when a friend of Robert's, who lived in Tennessee, called police. Mm. 
I have a theory. Okay. I think it was his sister. Mm. None of the articles say it was his sister. Okay. Everything says it was just a friend. Mm-hmm. Some sources say a female friend. Mm-hmm. But then I found out somewhere that his sister lived in Tennessee. And uh-huh. later on, his dad gets super pissed about something hap- that happens oh. with this crime. And he's like, you know, the police would have never found him if it weren't for me and his sister. So I think, I think it was his, his sister. sister. Okay. So the friend, possibly the sister, sees that Rebecca Schaefer has been murdered on TV. And she's like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. So she calls the police, tells them everything she knows, that Robert was obsessed with Rebecca Schaefer, that he talked about hurting her. And then the police in Tucson faxed a picture of Robert to the police in L.A. And the L.A. police took that picture to Rebecca's neighbor's and they were all like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's the guy. That's him. Fuck. Interestingly, by that point, Arizona police already had Robert in custody. What? They, they had taken him in for wandering around on a Tucson highway trying to commit suicide by running into cars. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's an odd method yeah yeah oh my gosh so they have him in in custody and robert kind of spills it he tells police where they can find his yellow polo where he can find the where they can find the gun where they can find the copy of catcher in the rye Mm. at some point in all this he was appointed a public defender named Lori lefferts and it was pretty clear that there'd be a fairly lengthy extradition process to get him to L.A. Yeah. At least, that's what everyone expected. So prosecutors in L.A. are ready to go. This is a super high-profile case. They are ready to get started. So they're watching all the filings and stuff going on in Tucson, and they realized that Robert's lawyer, Lori, had gone to the wrong court in Tucson to fight Robert's extradition, and that she hadn't then immediately gone to the right court to refile those papers. So she thought she had a few days to, to refile the papers. Uh-huh. But Los Angeles District Attorney Ira Reiner was like, excellent, okay, this Lori lady has had a momentary lapse in judgment. We're going to pounce on that. We've got this loophole here. Oh, my gosh. So he put two police officers... On a late night flight to Arizona, they arrived at the county jail at 3.30 in the morning, grabbed Robert, and brought him against his will back to California to face murder charges. Oh my gosh. This was super controversial. Robert's attorney did not realize he had been taken until 8.15 the next morning when she showed up for work. She was like, she, I mean, she was... Yeah, she was I'm like, sure. this is illegal. Yeah. She's like, my client was taken out of Arizona illegally. This is not nice. Not okay. Yeah. Did she do that? Finger she wag at the finger. end. I like saying not nice, not okay. Because when Allie was in daycare, that's what they used to teach the kids to say when they'd been wronged. <laughs> not nice, not okay. <laughs> and I use it to this day. <laughs> Looks like you learned something too. <laughs> da 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 da. <laughs> But Ira was like, mm, okay, it may have been kind of a dick move, but it was perfectly legal. Perfectly legal, yeah. yeah. Ira told the press that 
he couldn't take all the credit. The person who spotted Lori's error and said, hey, we could take advantage of this and just go get the guy was the woman who would be prosecuting the case. Mm. None other than motherfucking Marsha Clark. Yes. Who in a few years would be doing the O.J. Simpson Simpson trial. Yeah. So this is Marsha Clark's like big moment. Yeah. Robert's lawyer was pissed. But the prosecution and the defense did agree on one thing. That now that Robert was in California, there wasn't shit that Lori could do to bring Mm -mm. him back. Lori told the press, there's nothing I can do. Arizona law does not allow me to get him back. Wow. Yeah. So at some point in all this, Robert got a new court-appointed attorney named Stephen Galindo. And in mid-September, a judge ruled that Robert's rights had not been violated by the surprise extradition. Yeah. So the defense is still super angry because they were like, I don't care what y'all say. This was a violation of his rights. Mm-hmm. This was showboating. This was when Robert's dad got really pissed. And that's mm-hmm. when he said the thing about like, you know, you guys would have never caught him if it weren't for me and his sister. Uh-huh. And at this point, Marsha Clark is like, hi, uh, by the way, everyone, I'm adding a special circumstance of lying in wait to the murder charge. And in case you don't know, that means that the death penalty is officially mm-hmm. on the table. So lying in wait she's talking about that that hour when he went to the diner she's saying like he was basically hiding out and plotting Mm -hmm. the murder yeah Robert's attorney was like yikes yeah we can't have that so they negotiated Mm -hmm. Robert waived his right to a jury trial and the prosecution basically said okay since you're waiving your right to a jury trial we won't go for the death penalty we'll go for life in prison without parole okay So this case was heard in front of a judge. But Robert's attorney was still super angry about the extradition thing. So he refused to enter a plea. I don't understand that. Um, It's going to get more ridiculous. I mean, so so he's like, nope, we're not pleading guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity. We're not pleading anything. And Judge Dino Fulgoni was just like, um, okay, calm I'll down. Enter a I'm just plea of not guilty. Then that's exactly yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. He was like, "All right, noted. I'm gonna enter not guilty for you." Yeah, congratulations. That's what happens. Like yeah. you can stand up there all day and stomp your feet and like throw your hat on the ground and stomp on it, <laughs> Yosemite Sam. But like, <laughs> you would be such a good judge. What are you go- <laughs> like? What are you going to accomplish? Nothing. Yeah, dumb. So they move forward. Well, let's see. And at this point, the defense had no plans to contest the fact that Robert murdered Rebecca. Their whole argument was that Robert was too mentally ill to premeditate murder. So this had to be second-degree murder. And there was definitely no lying in wait. When he murdered Rebecca, it was spur of the moment and completely unplanned. No! Bull fucking shit! Hey, I, I liked what you said before on the DP episode. <laughs> Bull sexy time <laughs> shit! Yes. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm with you there's no okay so he just happened to hop on a bus and go to LA and come to her door and then wait an hour and then come back and then kill her on the spur of the moment yeah no that's a terrible argument I do believe he was mentally ill oh but, I do too but I believe not, he was mentally ill not yes. so mentally ill that he couldn't premeditate murder because yeah. I think that's exactly what he managed uh, to do here yeah Marsha Clark 
didn't even bother with an opening statement. She just started calling witnesses. Oh, wow. And her first one was John Egger, who was the head of security for Burbank Studios. So this, this was where I was like, mm, where's the part about the knife? Dude doesn't mention it anymore. Okay. So he was the one who told Robert to go home that day when he came to the studio with the freaking massive teddy bear mm-hmm. and flowers. And the big bombshell with his testimony was that he was like, yeah, Robert was super normal, very pleasant, found him to be intelligent, nice guy. That is a bombshell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not some scary, violent-seeming yeah. guy. He said, he was one of the most lucid and intelligent types of people that I've dealt with. Wow. Then Marcia called Robert's older brother, Edward, to the stand. Edward testified that he'd bought the gun for Robert because at the time, Robert was too young to get one. And he really wanted one. Which is such a good reason for someone to have a gun. Yeah. Then he said, yeah, you know, Robert had been in a psychiatric facility before, but at the time when Robert was asking for the gun, he seemed totally fine. Yeah. Hmm. More witnesses were called, and eventually it was the defense's turn. And they called TV reporter James Wider to the stand. James testified that on the day Robert was taken into custody, custody he looked loony. James said he seemed... What? Yeah. Because, you know, the defense is trying to say... Oh, you know, he's very mentally ill. So they're trying to get anyone who's willing to say, yeah, he looked nuts. The news reporter? Yeah. The news reporter was there when uh, Robert was, like, running himself into cars. And he was like, yeah, the dude looked like a Looney Tune. Do you not like the use of the word Looney? No. I don't. (laughs) And, like, this is not a person who has any kind of authority or any kind of certifications yeah, in any form of mental illness. But he was a witness. Uh-huh. And he and his say wit- what his he expert testimony is that he looked loony. Hey, he was a working journalist. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to mean something. <laughs> so James said he seemed at best disheveled and at worst drunk or stoned. Come. He said that after watching Robert for several minutes, he concluded that Robert was a very sick young man. He was also a doctor, by the way. <laughs> he was not. <laughs> a doctor who went all the way through med school and then was like, you know, I'd rather just be a TV reporter. Yeah. Then came cross-examination. And Marsha was like, okay, okay. So he looked really bad. But that doesn't mean he was insane. The dude hadn't slept for 48 hours. Couldn't that be why he looked terrible? It could also be why he was insane, because I imagine sleep deprivation. Yeah. I don't think that's a great argument either. (laughs) So James was like, yeah, I guess it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. The defense claimed that Robert only came back to Rebecca's apartment that second time because he'd been so enamored with her the first time. It's really her fault, because she was so friendly Uh, Yeah, she was so charming. They said that he came back because he'd wanted to give her a letter that he'd written. Mm. He shot her on impulse because she was being so cold and seemed irritated that he'd come back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The defense called Dr. Park Dietz, who specialized in celebrity stalking. He testified that Robert was schizophrenic. He said that Robert was mentally ill and had been since he was a child. 
He said that his mother and brother were also schizophrenic. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. He called the family pathologically dysfunctional mm-hmm. and compared, to, compared him to all these other celebrity killers. Mm-hmm. Ready for it to get a little weird? Yeah. So Dr. Park Dietz testified that Robert listened to the song Exit by U2 and felt that the lyrics were about himself and Rebecca. Do you know that song at all? I don't. Uh, we both don't like U2. Yeah. Here's another reason to not like them. So... <laughs> So apparently the song Exit was inspired by two books about true crimes. The Executioner's Song, which Uh I've never read, and then In Cold Blood, Uh which is the Truman Capote book. So after after he says that, the defense played the song for the judge. Mm -hmm. And at this point, all throughout the trial, Robert hadn't shown any emotion, really hadn't done anything. Exactly. He like starts then, along. then they play the song. He starts mouthing the lyrics and playing air drums <gasps> on his knees. What? Super weird. Probably pretty good for the defense. Looks <laughs> a little loony. Yeah. <laughs> what certifications do you have? <laughs> Maybe cosmetology license. <laughs> um, Dr. Dietz also talked a lot about Robert's past. Okay, he, this is from a newspaper article. He talked about some youthful writings, which to me... He's 19 years old. Every writing is youthful. Well, I'm thinking that's a journal, right? Yeah. Youthful writings, journals. Yeah. So anyway, on cross-examination, Marsha was like, aren't those writings filled with the normal concerns of teenagers? Concerns like fame and getting attention And the doctor was like, yeah, some of them are, but taken as a whole, no. He said, taken as a whole, this is a sick young man. A normal person would not repetitively threaten to commit mass murders, kill the mayor, kill your teacher. And then later, Marcia was like, isn't it true that you're testifying here so that you can enhance your professional reputation? She pointed out to some statement that he'd made about wanting to include the Robert Robert Bardo case in his future speeches and writings. And she said, you're testifying for less than your usual fee, right? And he was like, uh, yeah, true. But I don't have much to gain from this testimony. Hmm. And then he goes, I see this as a public service. Okay. Okay, so I'm with Marsha here. Yeah. But... I don't think that this necessarily means that he's full of shit or that his no, analysis is bad. No, I don't either. But yeah, like, dude, you specialize in celebrity killings, like, yeah. and you are testifying for less than your usual fee in this high-profile case. We yeah. know why you're here. Yeah, exactly. In his closing statement, defense attorney St- Stephen Galindo said, Rebecca Schaefer is a victim in the true sense of the word. She did nothing to deserve the fate that befell her. Robert Vardo is also a victim, a victim of parental neglect and a mental health system which failed to provide the treatment he needed. But Marsha Clark was like, nope. <laughs> the guy wanted to be a celebrity killer. He wanted the fame that, kills from, that comes from killing a star. He fantasized about this for years, and he carefully and methodically planned his attack. And by the way, that psychiatrist that the defense brought up here in case you couldn't tell, I'm not impressed by him. 
The guy didn't do any analysis. He just repeated everything Robert told him. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm not trying to put forth the position that this defendant was perfectly normal. A normal person does not stalk and murder an actress. But this was less than extreme psychosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the trial lasted five weeks. At the end of it, Judge Volgoni found Robert guilty of first-degree murder. He also found Robert guilty of the special circumstance of lying in wait to kill Rebecca. And that required the sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. He explained that the evidence showed that Robert planned the killing. Yeah. Okay. So after the verdict, as Robert was being led out of the courtroom, Rebecca's boyfriend walked up to him and said, Your cowardice will haunt you forever. Oh my God, I just got chills. Yeah. Um, so I, I read that article in the New York Times, or well, I'm sorry, Los Angeles Times. Uh-huh. And it said the boyfriend was Bradley Sieberling. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I can be a creep and like find him on Facebook or something. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's so weird. I'm yeah, sure no. normal people are like really grossed out. Yeah. I looked him up. He is now a famous director. He is? It's Brad Sieberling. So he did Land of the Lost. Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate oh, yeah. Events, City of Angels, uh-huh. Casper. Wow. Uh, yeah. And in 2002, he wrote and directed the movie Moonlit Mile, which apparently is like super loosely based on uh-huh. this whole thing. I, I mean, like very loosely yeah. based. But OK, so that movie was not well received. But check out this cast. Jake Gyllenhaal, Dustin Hoffman, Susan Sarandon. Ellen Pompeo and Holly Hunter. I've never even heard of this. No. Oh, no. It's got a ton of people in it. But again, not, not super well yeah. received. Now for the silver lining. In 1990, just a year after Rebecca's murder, California became the first U.S. state to criminalize stalking. Thank goodness. Yeah. I can't believe it wasn't criminalized before that. I know. I know. It's really scary how many of these laws against women were, like, totally fine until recently. Yeah. Like how it was legal to, like, rape your wife until mm-hmm. five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Three years later, every state in the United States criminalized stalking. Then, in 1994, the Driver's Privacy Protection Act was enacted. The act prohibits the DMV from releasing your personal information without permission. That's good. No kidding. Jeez. Stalking scares the shit. Uh, yeah. It's terrifying. Um, so on Monday, I did most of the research for this. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it like it's all snowy here. There's yeah. like no one out at all. So I'd spent like two or three hours just reading about stalking, being very creeped out. And then Norman and I went for a walk with Peanut. And I swear to you, there was this woman. We were the only people out. Uh-huh. And there was this woman who followed us for like a quarter of a mile. Oh, my god! And we were both like freaking out. And you out. were like, I bet she listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the star in this relationship. <laughs> I like we kept like looking back yeah. at her. I mean, she was this old lady. What was she going to do? But we were fully prepared to. Ooh. Take off. Take down a little old lady. I wonder if Norman would stay and like protect me. Yeah. Or if he'd just like. like, Bye. He'd do that thing where he like jumped in the air and like his feet were moving. (laughs) The cartoon character. Yeah. And then just like. I tell you what. In that situation, I would not be good. I'm not a sprinter. (laughs) The lady would have to like let me know 
and I'd be like, all right, I, just warning you, lady, I can run for a lot of miles. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the story. Oh, that was dark. It was really dark. Yeah. Um, her poor parents. I didn't talk about them. She was their only child. Mm, and great. Let's make it darker. Okay. Yeah. We'll just end it there. She's got great parents. You got to finish now. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't really even have that much to okay. say. It's just, just their life was ruined because their daughter was murdered. I hope not. Huh. It just made me feel awful. Yeah. Awful for them because like at the end, her dad was like, you know, this doesn't bring her back, but I'm happy with the verdict. Yeah. And her mom just seemed really devastated. Mm. Yeah. I can't even imagine. No. Oof. Yeah. Oof. You ever been stalked? No. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Mm-mm. I've stalked someone. Well, you mean like being creepy and Googling? <laughs> like, yeah, online. Yeah, same. <laughs> I mean, I kind of was creepy with this I'm poor like Brad guy. a professional internet stalker, so... <laughs> I'm grabbing more champagne because I'm doing better than you. Do it. At drinking champagne. <laughs> Oh, my voice is driving me crazy. It really is so much better than it was. Is it? Does your head hurt? Yeah. Your sinuses? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have that like feeling in your soft palate? Like, what do you mean? I always get like this like weird feeling in my soft palate when I have sinus problems. No. It just feels like. Uh... You know what I always think of? Huh. There was this commercial like a million years ago that I think sums up. The perf- balloon. Head? Yeah, the balloon. Yeah. Head. <laughs> I always That's think exactly that how I, I feel. I was thinking that too. I was thinking this week that whoever created that campaign Perfect. was a genius yeah. because that is exactly, it feels like my ears are totally closed off. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about something a little light before, I mean, I don't, I don't have I think we're going to have to save the light okay. stuff for the end. Okay, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. One of the darkest episodes ever. Hide. Rebecca Schaefer was really cute too. I'm, what are you doing? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She, I, I know. I'm being terrible. It's not like it would make it worse if she was ugly, but or better if she was ugly. But yeah, I know. Ah, <sighs> yikes. Okay, I am finishing my Johnson County series today. That makes me sad. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> you enjoyed it? Yes. I wonder if the listeners have enjoyed it, though, because it's about a bunch of stuff that's, like, nowhere near where any of them live, so. You know, we have gotten some letters that say you suck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They've said the nicest things about I'm me. I'm sure they have. <laughs> okay, so a couple things. This is... The first true crime book yes. I ever read. I have been so mad at you because yes. you would not tell me what it was. Yes. So my aunt Stephanie gave uh-huh. me this book when I, I think I was 10 or 11. Totally When I read it. Yes. <laughs> um, and I loved it uh-huh. and continued to read true crime books after that. But I thought it was fitting to save this for the end of my little series and for our anniversary since I did like my favorite, my first trial that I was yes. obsessed with on our first episode. And now I'm doing my first true crime book I read a year later. It's perfect. So, I'm not going to tell you. Are the you serious? Name of the book. Damn it. Until the very Until end. Until the end. Okay. Okay. I also, so I got a lot of information from the book. I'll tell you the author, Andy Hoffman. He was a big crime reporter in Kansas City um, during the 80s. He reported on the Duffield murders. He reported on the Harmon murder. He okay. reported on this case. Okay. Um, so it was a big deal. 
Um, and then I also watched an episode of a show on ID. Okay. And I also cannot tell you the name of that show or the name of that episode. You are a master of suspense. I will tell today. you it all at the end. Okay. But I just want to get those credits in there. Okay. Without giving too much information away. All right. Okay. It was 9.30 p.m. on April 17th, 1980. And Ed Hobson was worried. His 13-year-old son, Chris, was nowhere to be found. When Ed had come home that evening after a union meeting, then dinner with his wife, Sue Ann, he'd found Chris's science project spread out all over the kitchen table, but no Chris. So now Ed found himself wandering around in the dark, shouting Chris's name. Mm-hmm. The duplex the Hobson family lived in was in an upscale area of Overland Park. Do you want to look it up? I have the address. Yes, I do. Which special thanks, special, special thanks. <laughs> I had like a shh on the end of thanks there too, I think. And special thanks to my sister Casey who found this address for me. I could not find it. Searched for like a whole day for it. Uh-huh. Um, I had a picture of the house from the book. And so I sent it to Casey and was like, do you know where this is? And she knew where it was. So Wait, like off the top of her head? Yeah, she was like, I'm pretty sure <gasps> it's at the corner of 103rd and Null. Whoa! Yes! And so this Casey. is the address. Okay. 5421 West 103rd Terrace. So it's a duplex. I don't know which... KCK? Uh, no, Overland Park. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know which side of the duplex they lived in. God, it seems like every bad thing happens in a in Johnson duplex. County duplex. Yes. So nice. this duplex, this is a this was a very upscale area at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. This duplex is part of a development that has a mix of duplexes, townhomes, and condos. So gotcha. okay. lots of different things here. But very nice area. Super cute. Yeah, very cute. So Chris spent a lot of his time outside, but he knew the rules. He was supposed to be home by now, and Ed was angry. And what time was this? It's 9.30 oh, at night. Yeah, that's too late. And it's okay. April, so it's been dark for yeah. a while. So Ed's angry that Chris has missed curfew, but then he discovered that Chris's bike was in the garage, and then his anger turned to concern. Chris rode his bike everywhere. If he was out, his bike wouldn't be there. Oh, my so Ed walked down the oak tree lined streets and past the perfectly manicured lawns of their neighborhood to the park where Kristen often hung out. Where Chris? What did I say? You said Kristen. Okay. I appreciate you including His me. His name in. is Kristen. What? Okay. But they call him Chris, but it's spelled C H R I S T N. That's Kristen. It's nothing yeah. other than Kristen. Huh. It's not Christian. No. And his name is Kristen, but he goes by Chris. Okay. Okay. I don't have Kristen written here. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm your long-term friend, Brandy. Sometimes you just can't help but, but think of But his name was Kristen. Okay. So he's walking around the neighborhood. He's calling Chris's name. Nothing. Mm-hmm. He reaches the park where he often hung out. It's empty. Ugh. He goes back to the house and he's like, his wife is like, I think everything's probably fine. He just lost track of time. Let's give it a few minutes. You know, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. And by 11 o'clock, Chris hadn't come home. And Ed was like, that's it. I'm calling the police. Yeah. So he calls the police. Sue Ann, Ed's wife, Chris's stepmom, is like, well, I saw him at 6 or 6.30. That's when I left to meet you for dinner. And then the other daughter. So then Chris had a stepsister, Suzanne, who also lived in the house. This was Sue Ann's daughter. Okay. They were the same age. 
went to the same school, and she said that she had seen him about the same time. Okay. She had gone and gotten in the shower, and when she came out, he was gone. Right. By the time an officer arrived at the Hobson residence, Ed's anger and concern had turned to full-on panic. Yeah. In the time since he'd called, he'd made a troubling discovery. A shotgun was missing from a closet in the basement. Oh, no. But Ed couldn't tell the officer exactly when he'd last seen the gun. And there was no sign that any kind of crime had occurred. And so, as is typical in this kind of instance, the officer told Ed that it sounded like Chris had run away. So, he had, like, hunting rifles and shotguns uh-huh. in a closet in the basement. They were... He and Chris liked to hunt. They hunted regularly. Right. But it's not like he checked them every day. Well, no. To make sure they were there. Yeah. Yeah. But just like in his search of the house, he had opened that closet and he had noticed that one of the guns was missing. So it could have been missing for a long time. Yes. But possibly not. Possibly not. Okay. So the police are like, sorry, it, it sounds like we got a runaway here. And Ed's like, my son would never run away. Yeah. He has nowhere to go, no reason to leave. Mm -hmm. He's happy. He has everything he needs. He doesn't know anyone else. Yeah. He would not run away. And police are like, meh. Yeah, exactly. And while Ed may have wanted to believe that was true, it probably wasn't. Investigators would soon learn that things weren't going well at the Hobson home. So... Ed and Sue Ann had been married for 18 months and things in the blended family had not been going great. Ed and Sue Ann each had a child of their own from their previous marriages. Ed had Chris, Sue Ann had Suzanne. They were the exact same age, went to the same school. And when they'd come together, well, that would be freaking weird. Exactly. It just didn't work well. And both of them were used to being an only child. Oh yeah. That's not great. Yeah. Chris had had a rough childhood. His mother died when he was like eight or nine years old. Um, She had had cancer. So her death was like long and drawn out. His, his mother, Ed's first wife um, also had a couple of daughters from a previous marriage. And one Uh of them had died tragically when Chris was a child. Yeah. It was like, it's a whole crazy thing. I didn't even actually include it here. Yeah. Yeah. So she and her boyfriend were like driving in a car. Mm-hmm. They got in a fight. The boyfriend got out and she like took off. And then the boyfriend was like, this is stupid. I need to go back. And so he like climbed up onto the highway to like intercept her car. She like came no. around a loop oh, and no. she hit him. Not on purpose. <gasps> well, of course not. Turns out it was a horrible accident. He died. Oh no. Yeah. And she killed herself shortly after oh, that. Oh my God. Yeah. It's horrible. And Chris oh. was like, Seven, six or seven, and he's the one that discovered his sister's oh, body. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God, this is... Terrible. Your story's even worse than mine. <laughs> yeah, this is a dark one. Oh, God. <laughs> Happy anniversary, yeah, everybody. Yeah, no shit. So, yeah, so he just had a really rough childhood. Well, no kidding. And, and Ed had loved this... Her name was Tani, he, or Tani. Mm-hmm. T-A-N-I. I don't know. I don't know. He loved her like he was... Like she was... 
his daughter. And so it it just crushed him. He always thought that there was foul play involved. Um, Something crazy happened when her body was at the funeral home. Her body was like defiled between the time (gasps) when it was prepared for the funeral and then when the funeral took place. Oh, no. Yeah, like her hair was all messed up. Her The makeup was all like smeared. Oh, gross. Oh, yeah. Really bad. He suspect like the funeral director. Or I, I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So that happens, and then Ed's wife, Chris's mom, dies of cancer, and then Ed just is like giving Chris anything he wants. He just wants his son to have some joy in life, and yeah. so whatever he wants. He gets. If he wants to go hunting, they go hunting. If he wants to go fishing, they go fishing. If he wants a new baseball glove, he gets a new baseball glove. He gets anything and everything he wants. He gets to do whatever he wants. And one of his favorite things to do was to go skating at the skating rink. So there's a skating rink, 103rd and Maston. It's still there. I think it's Skateland. Um, They went there regularly. Didn't we go there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's weird. That was like all our elementary school School skating parties. parties. Yeah. Yeah. God, that yeah. place had a funky scent. Uh, I think that's probably just like feet. Feet. Yeah. Yeah. Skating. There's no mystery to it. <laughs> I didn't need you to unpack that for me. So it was here at the skating rink mm-hmm. that Ed met Sue Ann. Sue Ann had been forced to take a job at the skating rink after she divorced her first husband. Um, she had married when she was 19 and pregnant. She didn't want to get married. She didn't want to have a baby. But mm-hmm. it's what you did. Oh. <laughs> nightmare. So, yeah. Yeah. She, it was her nightmare. Oh. So she spent a few years as a stay-at-home mom, um, but she had very expensive taste, and she was very materialistic in nature. Sorry, this is Chris's birth mom. No, no, no. This is Sue Ann. This oh, is I'm sorry. Ed's. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, I'm with you now. So a little backstory on how okay. she came to work yeah. at the at the skating rink. Gotcha. Where she met Ed. So she's super materialistic. She's grown up as an only child to well to do parents. She grew up in Prairie Village, uh-huh. which is a pretty wealthy area in Pretty Johnson wealthy. County. Okay. Let me let me tell you, folks. <laughs> I love real estate. I'm always looking at real estate listings nearby. It's my dream neighborhood. It is. I love See, Prairie Village. Every time a house pops up and I'm like, oh my God, why do they want $600,000 for that tiny little house? Yeah. Freaking Prairie Village. Oh yeah. I can't afford to live there. I know. I'm just but saying. But I love it. Like, Let me just tell you this. Okay. I have loved Prairie Village forever. Uh-huh. Like my dream to live in Prairie Village. A um, couple weeks ago, Zach and I were on our way somewhere and we had to stop at the grocery store on the way. So we ha- were passing through Prairie Village and we stopped at the Hen House in Prairie Village. That's a very nice Hen House. Which is my favorite grocery store to begin with. Everything in Prairie Hen Village House. is very nice. This yeah. Hen House in Prairie Village. Okay, Hen House is a chain grocery store. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're, It's not like a little neighborhood grocery store. No. This Prairie Village hen house felt like a neighborhood grocery store. It's tiny. It's cute. Everybody was super friendly. I loved it. I was like, these are my people. This is where I belong. (laughs) You know, my goal in life is to lure you to KC Mo. You know, we've got drugs here. We've got dirt. We've got grit over here. So Zach and I are like walking out of this grocery store in Prairie Village. And I was like, oh my God, I love it here. It's so amazing. Look, there's a Starbucks in the parking lot. Oh, this is 
is where I'm meant to be. And he's like, I hate it here. <laughs> okay. Did you ever watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. yeah. It makes me think of Pawnee versus yeah. Eagleton. Yeah. I live in Pawnee. Yeah. And you're aspiring to live <laughs> <Yes>. in Eagleton. <laughs> yes. So... Sue Ann grew up in Prairie Village. She was used Say to a certain no more. lifestyle. Yes. And then she married young, yeah. when she didn't want to, to a blue collar guy. He uh-huh. And he worked as hard as he could for jobs at one point. Oh, my to God. To pay for everything that she wanted. They had a second child. Um, and it just, her wants and his ability to meet them really took its toll on the marriage. And eventually they divorced. Well, Jesus Christ, that poor guy. Oh, yeah. I feel terrible for Four him. Four jobs, two kids. Yeah. Oh, and no. a stay-at-home wife. Oh, no. Yeesh. So she had to get a job. When they got divorced, she left her first child. So her first child was a, a boy. Uh-huh. He was, And when he was four, she welcomed the second child, the girl. Okay. She didn't want the boy was not excited that she had the boy. Thrilled when she had a daughter four oh, years later. God. Well, Terrible. Poor boy. Yes. Yeah. So when they get divorced, she leaves the boy with the ex-husband what? and just takes Suzanne with her. Oh, well, that'll ensure the kid has a number of psychological right? issues. That's terrible. Terrible. Yes. Fuck that. No kidding. She wouldn't see or hear from her son, Jimmy, for like seven years. Imagine that. that. Yeah. You mean he didn't want to have contact right. with her? Wow. Yeah. And nor did she want to have contact with him, what it a, seems. Mm. Yeah. So here's Sue Ann. She's freshly divorced, raising a daughter on her own. And she's taken this job at this skating rink owned by her friend, Norma. While working there, she meets Ed Hobson. And he's immediately infatuated with her. Sue Ann was beautiful. She had dark skin and dark eyes, and she was very put together. Appearances uh-huh. mattered very much to her. Okay. And he was just like, whoo, who is this lady working at the snack bar? <laughs> I had that thought many a time, because they served nachos at that snack bar. <laughs> That's right. Nachos, giant pickles. Fun dip. Yes. You remember the fun and dip? And big cookies. Oh, Oh, you loved a big cookie. I did like a big cookie. Do you remember in elementary school? We'll cut this because it's who cares. Yeah. But in fifth grade, do you remember they would bring out the tray? Oh, yeah. And remember they had those massive cookies for 50 cents? Oh, yeah. That were like undercooked in the middle? Yeah. Sweet Jesus. They were delicious. They were amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So Ed is just infatuated with Sue Ann. Yeah. Chris is over here skating his life away. Ed's. (laughs) Hanging out of the snack bar. And he is asking her out over and over and over again. And she rejects him every time. No, I don't like this one bit. Mm-hmm. he's just another blue collar guy. He's just like her first husband. Okay, she's working the snack yeah. bar at a skating rink. So she can <laughs> yeah, calm exactly. the fuck down. Then, one day, she noticed that he was driving a really nice car. Ugh, I'm pretty man. sure it was a Lincoln. I'm not positive. But really nice Newer model car. And then let me guess. She decided that, yes, she could go out Yeah, with so she's like, oh, wait, this guy has money. I guess I'll give him a shot. 
So she starts dating him. They get very serious very quickly. They drive to Oklahoma and get married, and they decide they're going to... Oklahoma? Yeah, it's really weird. So they got married in, like, Miami, Oklahoma, which is also where she married her first husband and where Ed married his first wife. So I don't know what's happening in Miami, Oklahoma. I'm not familiar. Is she from Miami, Oklahoma? No, they're both from here. Okay, that this uh, is maybe very it's strange. like the Las Vegas of the Midwest. Maybe we're missing out. <laughs> Hold on, let me look at Miami. <laughs> yeah, three weddings in this damn book happened in Miami, Oklahoma. I feel like the only reason you'd say that is so you could tell people, "Oh yeah, I got married in Miami," and then just hope they don't ask questions. Okay, I'm I'm just doing an image search. Well, no, I'll go ahead and go to the official website of Miami, Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I. It doesn't really look like a destination. I'm not trying to shit on Miami, Oklahoma. I'm very well aware. I live in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm not trying to act like, you know. Your I'm, shit don't stink? Yeah, exactly. What are we finding about Miami, Oklahoma here? Is it- I mean, just that, like, okay, so population as of 2010, 13,000. Hmm. So it's like a, yeah, it's I mean, according to Norman, Norman it's a pretty huge big city. Huge city. <laughs> it's a gigantic it's a city. Booming city. <laughs> Booming metropolis. <laughs> Super weird. Why yeah, did they go I don't there? know. I okay. have no idea. Okay, anyways. Anyway, sorry. okay. So we'll continue on. So they get married, and they're like, oh, this is amazing. We're going to mold our two families together. It's going to be the best thing ever. They move into this duplex in Overland Park. Did Chris and Suzanne know each other? No, they did not go to the same school before... The parents oh, okay. got married. No. Okay. All of a sudden, they're together and now going to the same school Yuck. and everything. Oh, those yeah. poor kids. Yeah. Yes. So they move into this upscale duplex in Overland Park. Mm-hmm. Ed bought Sue Ann a nice car and a giant wedding ring. It was like this big ass diamond encrusted with rubies. Sounds hideous. And Ed was a hard worker. He had a good union job, but he wasn't rich. Right. But Sue Ann got to stay home now. She had her perfect house. She had everything exactly how she wanted. And now it was time for the perfect family. Uh Uh-huh. Minus her first child. Right. But it didn't just, doesn't just work that way. You can't just shove people together and all of a sudden have this perfect family. Yeah. The two 13-year-olds butted heads a lot. I bet so. They fought constantly. And both children ran to their biological parent when the step-parent would attempt to discipline them. Yeah. So it's like, if Sue Ann's trying to discipline Chris, he runs to Ed, and Ed's like, has to play the peacemaker. Yeah. And it's just a really difficult situation. Yeah. And it began to take its toll on the marriage. But both Sue Ann and Ed were really siding with their biological child. It's like, I'm so sorry. Hey, this is classic. This is classic right here. (laughs) This hasn't happened in a while. My dad is calling. Of course he is. Do you you need to answer it? Answer it. No. Okay. So that was my father. Yeah. What's he, what's he got going on? Um, I guess he just had a social media question, which I'm afraid is going to be somehow related to the presence he has established ever since he guest guest hosted guested on the podcast. I don't know. He's tweeted us twice today. I just, (laughs) so that's concerning. (laughs) Four minutes apart from each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It shows he's not desperate. Um, (laughs) He did just say, 
to let the listener. He was like, "Well, do you want me to do you want me to go on speakerphone so I can be on the podcast?" And I was like, uh, "The listeners would probably love it." And he's like, "Just let them know I called. They'll be excited." Oh my uh, god, he's a monster. <laughs> He's a monster. He's out of control. He's a monster, but the people love him. Well, yeah, that's right. Okay, so things aren't going well. The family's not working out real great. Right. And so they decide, um, Sue Ann and Ed decide that they're going to go to counseling as a family. Right, okay. Good call. Yes. Things go a little bit better. You know, it's kind of, they're working out some issues, and they decide, like, to te- take the next step forward. They're going to adopt each other's children so that it's, like, oh. a full legal family. Okay. Everybody changes their last, well, Suzanne changes her last name to Hobson. Okay. Um, Sue Ann is Chris's legal mother now. Everything is you know, perfect. Okay. It's exactly perfect, Kristen. How dare you make that face? I'm just thinking, I think counseling's a great idea. Yes. I just think it would be really hard to make that shift at 13. Yeah. But also, like, I didn't want to change my last name when I was 26. I can't imagine right. wanting to change my name at 13 yeah. because my mom married some new guy. Yeah. I, yeah. But... I think the adoption is sweet. I think uh, the name changes too much. Yeah, I don't know if Suzanne was into it or not i don't know if it was let me come on come on (laughs) so things are getting better everybody's a hobson now Uh uh-huh we're all great (laughs) nothing to see here and ed and sue ann decide maybe it's time to move in no sue ann's older son jimmy who she hasn't had contact with in years oh boy he's now 17 no. And they're like, why would come you come on in? Be part of the family, bud. It seemed like a great idea. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but neither Ed nor Suzanne knew the full extent of what Jimmy's childhood had been like after Sue Ann left. Well, that's on fucking Sue Ann. <laughs> yeah, no fucking shit. You don't leave your kid. Yes. Be like, oh, what happened? Yeah. So Jimmy's dad, Jim, had been a heavy drinker and he was unable to care for Jimmy. So he'd sent him to live with various family members and he essentially spent the formative part of his childhood floating from house to house with no real place to call his own. Yeah. That's infuriating. Oh, yeah. And imagine what that does to a kid. Uh, It does horrible things to a kid. Meanwhile, yeah. his mother is alive and well and just not into it. Yeah. Like, that's and how like it's raising not... his sister. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, you stay here. I'll take this one. Wait, are you about to tell me that Jimmy's kind of fucked up from all this? Because <laughs> right. that is just shocking. Right. Won't that be shocking? Yeah. So at first, Jimmy was happy to be invited into the family. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have a stable home. I'm going to have siblings. So he moves into the family. Um, he starts at school nearby at Shawnee Mission South. And he even enrolled under the name Jimmy Hobson, even though he wasn't wow. technically a Hobson. He asked Ed if he could use his last name. Oh, that poor kid. Yeah. And he Ed was, was like, so of course. Desperate. Yeah. 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 But things were rocky. Of really? course. Jimmy was a troubled kid. And moving into the Hobson home didn't change that. 
Jimmy was caught multiple times with drugs in his room, and he suspected that Chris was tattling on him for them. Uh-oh. Like each time that like his ro- like they were caught in the room, like it was somehow he knew Chris knew, and he, oh, he was shit. pretty sure that Chris was telling on oh, him. Oh shit! Did he take a gun and kill Chris? Why would you think oh, that? No. Oh no. Anyway. <laughs> oh no. no. Oh, it's terrible. <sighs> Poor Ed. <laughs> so, he's getting caught with drugs and then he gets into some real trouble. He gets caught by the police using a stolen credit card. Mm-hmm. He gets convicted in juvenile court. And Ed and Sue, Sue Ann were like, that's it. You're out of the house. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was fast. Yeah. They kicked him out. But they set him up in like a studio apartment nearby. Like they paid for it and whatever. But they're like, you're not going to live in our house and do those shenanigans. Hmm. That's kind of odd. I think it's an odd move. I think it's a super odd move. Yeah. So you misbehave. Well, more than misbehave. Yeah. You did something bad. Yeah. So now we're going to give you more freedom than ever before. Oh, yeah. We're going to give you your dream situation where you're in yeah. your own apartment yeah. with no parental supervision. But don't you think like he had parents who were attentive for the first time in his life and he just wanted to see what he could get away with? He needed to be disciplined. Yeah. He wanted to see what discipline was. Yeah. And instead they were like, Get the fuck out. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. We'll pay your bills. Yeah. Huh. They, their hope was that getting Jimmy out of the house would help calm things down at home. Things were really out of control at this point. Chris and Suzanne and Jimmy were at each other's necks constantly. It was constant problems. It was driving a wedge between Ed and Sue Ann. Okay. I do kind of feel them on that. Now yeah. that I now that I shat all over them about yes. that, I do kind of understand you got these two 13-year-olds. Yeah. You're trying to make sure they don't get all right. messed up. Right. Maybe you do want to just yeah. say bye-bye. But Sue Ann's big concern was that Ed was going to divorce her. And well, so she had to make sure that that didn't happen. Okay. So she's like, okay, first you get out of the house, and then let me see if I can get this situation back under control. Oh, boy. Yeah, because... Her meal ticket is gone if Ed divorces her. Doesn't she love him, though? I mean, like, what are you talking about meal ticket? Really? Doesn't... Okay. Well, fine. I guess I'm naive. (laughs) 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 Which is weird, because today of all days, I don't sound naive. I sound... I sound grizzled by time. (laughs) I sound like I've seen some things. So... She gets Jimmy out of the house, but things aren't really getting much better. Right. Sue Ann liked a meticulously kept house. She cared very much about appearances, so Mm. she was not having it when Chris was constantly leaving his dirty socks in the living room, kicking his tennis shoes off wherever. His bedroom was constantly a mess. I hear you, Suzanne. He would drink directly out of the milk carton. Okay, you're painting Suzanne like her some asshole. Her name is Sue Ann. Sue Ann, sorry. Her daughter is Suzanne. Well, it's not the least stupid. bit confusing. That is stupid. And then the dad was Jim and he had and a son so named Jimmy. Jimmy. That's their fault that I can't keep it straight. I'm with her on this, though. Yeah, so she's like, this is not how I keep my home. This is unacceptable. Yeah. And then there were Chris's problems in school. 
Chris had a mild learning disability and required special education classes. And that was an embarrassment to Sue Ann. Okay, well, now she's a dick. Yeah. Oh, she's a dick, Kristen. Well, I'm just saying, like... (laughs) I'm just saying, so you know that we're working on our... I was about to say, you nearly murdered Norm because he made a coat pile on the floor Um, over there. I, okay. So there's this guy who's supposed to be coming to do drywall in the house. He's canceled on us three times now. And our house is small. We have an old house. So closet space in an old house is like non-existent. Yeah. So you lose one closet and you're just fucked Fucked. up the A. (laughs) So we had this coat pile. What did North Sailor blasted up the (laughs) A? Why did he say that? I can't remember. I can't remember either. (laughs) So like the guy canceled on us again this week. Oh shit. And I about blew my fucking top and it's all because the coats are everywhere and i don't want them to be everywhere so you'll notice it's pretty organized right well, now you know that's because i'm like sue fucking ann and there's just a way i keep my home yes. so the house is is a mess okay sue ann's not having it right chris needs special education classes sue ann is embarrassed so she really made an impression at Chris's school oh, by no. going up there and having constant meetings with the school counselor and the special ed teacher and trying to find out if he's improving. Why isn't he improving? When is he going to be out of these classes? Let's get a move on. So not improving as in I'm worried about him. And oh, concerned no, about no, no. I'm concerned about how this looks that I have a son who's in special ed. Good grief. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So now we're kind of back to Chris is missing. This is the backstory. Okay. So Ed's telling them, this is a perfectly happy home. But then when investigators started looking into it a little Ed, bit, they're like, honey, God, I'm not, I'm not, we're not really getting that same feeling, but not getting that vibe, <laughs> getting a real unhappy vibe. <laughs> what detectives saw when they looked at Ed was a distraught father. Yeah. And what they saw when they looked at Sue Ann was a snobby housewife with a teenage runaway. What they didn't see, though, were any signs of foul play. And so the days went by with little investigation and few leads. They're like, looks like he ran off and there's not a lot we can do about it. All the while, Ed was sure that something had happened to Chris. Mm -hmm. Then... Approximately six days after Ed initially reported Chris missing, a man found a wallet in some bushes at Metcalf South Mall. Inside, he found a school ID and a library card belonging to Chris Hobson. This changed everything. Investigators were like, whoa, okay. This does not match a runaway scenario. Runaway kid is not going to dump his wallet at the no, mall. No, no. Someone else put the wallet there and they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. They were like, someone else is involved. Looks like Ed might be right. We might have foul play here. What's the time period between when they didn't? Six days have gone by. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just said that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm catching like 50% of what you're saying. Can I blame the cold? <laughs> sure. You Blame your balloon head. <laughs> What color do you think my balloon head is? Hmm. Blue? 
Oh, you're wrong. Okay. Oh. It's red. I, just, I was just wondering. All right. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't read your aura properly. <laughs> I mean, do you see a fucking crystal ball in front of me? Well, don't they teach you that in cosmetology school? <laughs> like, what exactly did you learn? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm an out-of-work journalist, but you're like a licensed cosmetologist. I didn't go to astrology school. <laughs> no one did. <laughs> the news of this wallet being found was big news yeah. around Overland Park. And the Overland Park Police Department and investigators were speculating what it meant. One of the more seasoned detectives got in on the conversation. He was like, this is the Hobson boy, right? And they were like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, I remember that family. I was there a few months back dealing with the stolen credit card case with the older son, Jimmy. And I got the feeling that things weren't quite as rosy in that house as they would want you to think. Mm. I'd do some more poking around that tree if I were you. So he's like, I remember going there. It was weird. It was weird. Something's up at that house. Okay. Okay. And so the the detectives that are assigned to the Hobson case are like, okay. So the day after the wallet was found, Overland Park PD launched an official search of the area for the missing boy. So it's a week now. Yeah. He's been gone. And this is the first official search. <sighs> okay. A helicopter conducted an aerial search of the wooded areas around Overland Park, while 28 police officers searched a, cr- a concentrated area along Indian Creek from Metcalf to State Line. Whoa. It's a big area. Yeah, it is. It was the largest search by far that the Overland Park Police Department had conducted for a runaway or a missing person. But the search turned up nothing. A couple of articles of clothing were found, but neither Ed nor Sue Ann could confirm that they belonged to Chris. Yeah. Like, it was like a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt. Yeah, that could be, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The days continued to pass with no sign of Chris. The police held a couple of press conferences, asking anyone with information to come forward. They told the public that the disappearance was being investigated as a runaway, but they admitted that certain aspects of the case didn't match with a typical runaway case. Um, Ed spoke on the press conferences. Sue Ann and Suzanne just stood in the background. But Ed was like, my son would never run away. Yeah. I know something has happened to him. You have to help me. You have to help me bring him home. Yeah. But nothing happened. There was no sign of Chris and no leads to follow (sighs) until May 1st. So by that time, Chris had been missing for two weeks And it seemed like he had vanished without a trace. But around noon on May 1st, investigators received a call from Layla Anderson. Layla was a 18 year old girl who went to Shawnee Mission South. She was like, I think I have some information on the missing Hobson boy. I think he's dead. Oh, the only detective available to take Layla's call was someone who only had like basic knowledge of the case. He hadn't been working on it directly. So he listened to Layla talk for a few minutes and then he stopped her and he asked her to come into the station and make an official statement. Yeah. The detective didn't know if there was any truth in what Layla told him or even if he believed what she had to say, but he knew one thing for sure. Layla without a doubt believed what she was saying was true. So Layla came to the station They take her into an investigation room and she makes an official tape recorded statement to detectives. So they're like, okay, Layla, 
why don't you tell us everything you know from the beginning? Yeah. So Layla starts talking to them. She's like, yesterday, a friend of mine came up to me and he told me that another friend of ours had been paid to kill the missing kid. (gasps) He also told her, that friend also said that the kid's brother and the stepmother were involved. (gasps) Wait, and the stepmother? Yep. Oh, no. The mother paid the brother and friend to kill the boy. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. So detectives are like, much like you, they're like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. What? And they're like, who's your friend? And she's like, my friend who was paid is Paul Sorrentino. And it was a name that police recognized. He was some little 16-year-old who was always into some kind of trouble, but nothing serious. He was good-looking and well-liked, but he thought he was hot shit. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, so Paul Sorrentino, and then who's this Who's this uh, friend of his that, you know, was paid to? And she's like, Jimmy Hobson. Yeah. And they're like, okay. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, that matches. Yeah. <laughs> this is bad. This is really bad. And so they're like, okay, so so what'd you do after your friend told you this? And she's like, well, I didn't believe it. So I went to Paul's house and I confronted him. So she tells these detectives that she's like, okay, so my friend told me that he had heard that Paul and Jimmy were paid to kill Chris. And so I just went to Paul's house and I was like, Paul. I'm hearing these rumors. Tell me it's yeah. not true. And Paul's like, no, it's true. <gasps> yeah, we did it. We took him out into the country. Jimmy no. and I did. We killed him. What the hell? Yeah. And so Layla is like starting to cry. She's like, oh, my God, Paul, why? Why would you do that? And Paul's like, well, I owed Jimmy a favor. And Jimmy's mom's going to pay for my motorcycle repairs for doing it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Layla's like, but how could you do it? It was a 13-year-old boy. That's a little kid. Yeah. And Paul goes, no, this kid was a jerk. He was a snitch. He was a tattletale. He was a troublemaker. Let me put it to you this way, Paul said. And this is a direct quote from Paul. If they had three gallons of milk in the refrigerator... He would drink two and three quarters and leave a quarter for the rest of the family for the rest of the week. Well, might as well kill him. I mean, what the fuck? I guess, here's the thing. I guess if you're going to decide that you're going to kill somebody, you have to decide that that person's evil, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if that's all the dirt you've got on them. That they drink too much milk. Good grief. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. I'm still stuck on the fucking Sue Ann. Being involved. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Yep. So Layla's like, you know, I talked to him about it and I'm like, I can't believe you did this. And and he's like, yeah, it's done. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Uh, we no. just took him out there. We did it. It's totally fine. It's, yeah. It's just done. Nobody. Yeah. No. And so detectives are like, okay, do you know where 
he took them. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, but I can find out. And they're like, do you feel comfortable doing that? Okay, no, they shouldn't send her back there. Yeah, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I put up a pretty good front. So I think I, if you guys need more information, I can get more no, information. Totally. No, you don't send. Oh, yeah. no, no. Yeah, no. I can get more information. No big deal. And so they're like, okay, well, you know. We really need to know where that body is, so then do that work your fucking if self. If you can figure that out for us, that'd be a, that'd be <gasps> a real that'd be a me. real big help, Layla. And so she leaves. Are you about to tell me that she gets hurt? No, she's fine. okay. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> so she leaves, and they're like, "Call us with any more information that you get." And so she calls them like three times that night, and she's like, "I think it's somewhere off of two hundred fifty eighth Street." That's all I'm getting out of him. And then, like, uh, like he said that they had to stop for directions and find Antioch on the way back. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. But still not enough. They cannot figure out, you know, it's not enough information. And so the next day, they have Layla come back in. Yeah. And they're asking her. They're like, okay, did you get any more out of him? And she's like, no, like, I can't. I can't. He says he doesn't know uh-huh. where it was exactly. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Would you be willing to call him and have us tape record the conversation? Okay, they should have said that from the beginning. Yeah. You don't send. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, let's get him on the phone. <laughs> like, she is loving that she's helping the detective. She feels like she's being a big help. Well, she is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she yeah. is. She yeah. is. Okay. And she feels terrible that this happened to this kid. So yeah. she's like, any way I can help. I'm ready to do it. Okay. And so they call Paul. They've got it all on recording. Yeah. And she's like, um, you know, I'm really, I'm just really worried about, you know, this body out there in the woods. And he's like, well, don't worry about it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what if somebody finds it? And he's like, nobody's going to find it. And she's like, it's been out there for like a while now. It's going to stink. A dog's going to dig it up. Yeah. And he's like, no dog's going to dig it up. And she's like, I'm just really, you know, I'm in this now. Now that you've given me all this information, I'm in this. I need to make sure that I'm safe, too. I'm thinking I'm going to drive out there and and find it and make sure it's covered. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I mean, do what, do you do what you want to do. And she's like, well, tell me where it is. And he's like, I don't know where it was. I was really fucked up when we went out there. We drank. We smoked pot like. I don't know exactly where it's at. Yeah. And he says the thing again about like somewhere off of 258th Street, somewhere in Miami County. They had to stop and get directions on the way back because they couldn't find Antioch. Yeah. So Antioch dead ends at this time. I don't know where it dead ends now, but yeah. at this time it dead ended at 175th Street. You know what? I believe him. If he was. Oh, I do too. I, uh, dude does not know where it is. Oh, I totally believe it. And so she's like. I just really think that you got to get out there and figure out, you know, make sure that body's safe. And he's like, I'm really not worried about it. And she's like, okay, but was the mud wet when you buried him? And he's like, well, yeah, like the dirt was moist. Mm -hmm. And she's like, it hasn't rained in 17 days. If that dirt was wet when you buried him, it has dried and shrunk by now, which oh. means his body is probably exposed. Yeah. I'm sure that the detectives were feeding her oh, that well, information. Of course. There's of no way course. she fucking came with that on no. her own. And he's like, oh, no. 
it's really it's fine he's like when i buried when i buried him like his hand started to come out so i stomped on it and really buried it down good and then put some more dirt on top i'm sure it's fine what do you mean came out like he was alive i don't know oh yeah and so detectives are like all right that's great information that we just got on tape yeah yes we've got him admitting that he buried him yeah and so they get off the phone mm-hmm. and detectives are like, thank you. Like that, that was a huge help. Yeah. Please stay away from Paul. <laughs> like for your safety. Yeah. Um, you know, once we arrest him, we're probably going to need you to testify. Right. And she's like, absolutely. You know, whatever I can do to help. Yeah. So she leaves and detectives are like, okay, great. We have him talking about the murder. We have him admitting to burying the body. But we still we still don't know where the body is. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to make any arrests. Surely that's enough to make an arrest. They've got him on tape saying when I buried. Yeah, it's enough body. maybe to arrest him. But I then it can't. set it like yeah okay. I, it's I'm a giveaway to Sue yeah. Ann and Jimmy. Yeah okay 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 <laughs> okay. And so they're like we have got to find this body. Yeah. They needed a break, and that break would come. The very next day, May 3rd, two teenage boys, 17 years old, are playing by Bull Creek in Miami County. Okay. They're fishing. Nothing's biting. So they're like, let's go. Let's go searching around in the woods. Let's see if we can find some bigger worms. That's what they were looking for. They only had like little tiny worms. Nothing was biting. Let's go see if we can find some bigger worms. Oh, God. So they're rooting through the woods. They're poking stuff with sticks, trying to get worms to come out. But it hasn't rained. Yeah. And, like, then they're like, God, something stinks back here. Oh, no. And then they look over, and there's this odd area of dirt that's just, like, it's kind of mounded up differently Mm -hmm. than everything else. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, a red piece of cloth sticking out from the dirt. So they go over... And they poke it, oh, and it kind of moves. And so they kind of, like, poke it a little more with the stick, and they uncover it, and it's an arm. <gasps> so they run. They take off running. Oh, they go God, home, those They poor call kids. the police. Police come out to the scene. They uncover a body. It is moving because it is full of maggots. Oh, oh. It is badly decomposed. Oh. Yeah. So they take it back to the medical examiner's office, which happened at the time to be, I don't know if it, where it is now, but it happened at the time to be at Shawnee Mission Medical Center. Okay. Um, so they take it there to do an autopsy, and they pretty quickly are able to determine that by dental records that yeah. it's Chris Hobson. Oh, yeah. God. So they identify the body. They're like, okay, we got to bring these three suspects in. And we've got to do it without any of them knowing that we're bringing any of the other ones in. Okay. Yeah, that's yes. that's good. Yep. So three groups of two detectives go out simultaneously to bring in each suspect. Yes. So the first group goes to Jimmy's apartment. They have police officers with them. They surround the building in case he runs. Yeah. They ring the doorbell. He answers the door. They introduce themselves. They're like, We'd like to take you down to the station to ask you some questions. And he's like, yep, I'll come. Comes willingly. Uh-huh. No problems. Okay. Next two 
go to the Hobson home. Mm-hmm. They have not yet been told that they've found Chris. Yeah. So it's like midnight. Yeah. They go to the Hobson home and Ed's like, what's going on? Yeah. Did you find Chris? And they're like, Ed, we're going to need you guys to come down to the station. We've got some information to talk to you about, but we really need you to come down. He's like, just tell me now. Just tell me now. I can't handle it. Just tell me now. Oh, poor They're like, we can't tell you anything until we get you guys down to the station. And Sue Ann's like in her pajamas. And she's like, do I have to come? And they're like, yep. Uh Uh-huh. So she goes and she gets dressed. And they take them down to the station. They separate them. They put Sue Ann in an interrogation room. And then Ed's just like sitting in the hall and they tell him Mm -hmm. that they've found Chris. Was it difficult to separate them or do you know? I don't know. Okay. And Ed just wails. He just breaks down. Yeah. And at that point, he didn't really know why Sue Ann was being questioned. Right. Or why they had been separated. Right. Yeah. The, oh my gosh, they talk about it in pretty big detail in this book. And he said that the detective that told him, like, Ed just, like, reached out and grabbed his hand and was, like, holding his hand and sobbing. And the detective started to, like, cry, too. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, I want to see Sue Ann. And they're like, well, we're, you know, we're... We're asking her some questions right now. Yeah. They're just really keeping him in the dark about what's going on. Ugh. So then there's the third detective group. They are trying to figure out where Paul Sorrentino is. Yeah. And dispatch contacts them. Paul Sorrentino happened to, at the exact same time that the detectives were getting ready to head out and find him, call police because he was at a party and he'd accidentally locked himself into some handcuffs. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> so he was like, hey, can you send somebody over to unlock these handcuffs for me? I can't get them open. You're kidding me. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. We'll send someone over right away. Let's save some time. We'll keep them <laughs> we'll on. We'll keep those on. Wow. And so they go over. And um, it's at this, like, house party. And he comes out. And he's like, I don't want people to know that you the police are here. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah problem come on out yeah just come on down here come down to the car and they unlock his cuffs for him yeah and he's like all right thanks guys and they're like oh we're gonna need you to get in the car we're gonna take you down to the station we need to ask you some questions and he's like what and they're like yeah we just got some questions for you and so he's playing super confused yeah and they take him down so they start interrogating the three different suspects so paul is like I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're like, we found Chris Hobson. Yep. He was murdered. We think you're involved. Yeah. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they're like, everybody is talking about how you are involved. And he's like, they're like, you have told several people information that you could only know if you were involved. Yep. And he's like, oh my God, no, I'm just making stuff up to get attention. Come on, guys. And they're like, oh, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, I've just been running my mouth again. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Hey, listen to this for us. And they play Uh the recorded phone call for him. And he's like, yeah, I need a lawyer. I'm not going to say anything else. Oh, okay, Paul. He immediately refuses to speak to them. Yeah. In the next room, they've got Sue Ann. 
and they're like, we found Chris. He's dead. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, oh goodness. My. Oh, my. What? And they're like, uh-huh. And we're pretty sure you're involved. And she's like, involved? Involved in what? And they're like, yeah. oh, and murdering your son. Yeah. And she's like, well, I wasn't home. What? That's her immediate. I wasn't home when he went missing. Uh, that's not how <laughs> yeah, you respond. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And so they're like, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. 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 And so um, they're like not getting really anywhere with her. And they're like, we know you're involved. We've got several people saying your name that you're involved in this. Yeah. That you paid to have him killed. And she's like, no, that is not what happened at all. And so then she tells detectives that Jimmy killed Chris and that she found out about it after the fact. She was Chris or Jimmy was tired of Chris telling on him all the time. He knew that Chris was the one that got him in trouble for the stolen credit card. He knew that Chris was the one that was tattling on him for the drugs, which she pinned this out, on her own son. Out, none of that was true. Chris was not involved in him getting in trouble for the drugs or the credit cards at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. But she said he's like he had had enough. He killed him. He did tell me after the fact, I did know that he that fucking died, man. and I Ugh. just, I didn't know what to do. It's my son. I had to protect Jimmy. I had to protect my son. Mm. He's just, you know, a troubled boy. And then she admits that she is the one that planted Chris's wallet at Metcalf South. She thought that that would protect Jimmy somehow. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. Yes. And so they're like, "Uh uh-huh. So just Jimmy just did this just on his own. And Mm. you knew about it this whole time. She's like, well, yeah, I couldn't tell Ed. What was I going to say to Ed? Mm -hmm. And they're like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, great. Why don't you just sit here for a while? So they leave her to sit in the interrogation room. And then they go and talk to Jimmy. And Jimmy agrees to tell detectives everything. As long as they don't tape record it. What? He agrees to a written statement. They can write down everything he says, but he does not want his mother to be able to hear his voice saying everything that happened. Yeah. Okay. And so they're like, okay. Yeah. And so he tells them everything. Uh Uh-huh. So he says that a couple of weeks before... April 17th, the day that Chris disappeared, mm-hmm. that Sue Ann came to him and she was like, I've had enough. I can't handle him anymore. He is going to lead to me and Ed being divorced. I cannot go through another divorce. I cannot lose Ed. You've got to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy's like, I don't know why you would think that I would do that. Yeah. And she's like, then find somebody who will. And she's like, I will buy you a new car. I will pay whoever you are able to find help you with this. And so he's like, okay. And so Paul Sorrentino is like his best friend. He's only been going to this school for a short time. So he still doesn't, he doesn't know Paul that well, but it's been his like one, you know, kind of constant friend since he started at this new school. Yeah. And he's like kind of telling Paul, like, can you believe this? And Paul's like, Let's do it. 
Oh, my God. Paul tells Jimmy he's always wanted to murder someone. What the? Yeah. Let's do it. And so he's like, what can I get out of her? And Jimmy's like, probably whatever you want. Yeah. And he's like, "Uh, I got, you know, X amount of dollars in motorcycle repairs I need done so I can get my bike back. You think she'll Let me guess, like 300 bucks? Probably. And and Jimmy's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure she'll pay you whatever. So, like a couple of different times, they... Paul and Jimmy went to the house to take Chris and like Jimmy backed out each time. Okay. And so then on April 17th at around six thirty, seven o'clock, Paul and Jimmy come to the house. Paul walks in. Chris is at the kitchen table working on his science project. He immediately starts talking to Chris. Jimmy goes straight to the basement, grabs a shotgun, takes it out of the house puts it in his car and also puts a shovel in his car. Oh my God. And then he goes back in the house. And meanwhile, Paul's been like, Hey, we're going to go uh, scam some drug money. You want to, you want to come with us? And Chris is 13. Yeah. He's getting attention from, from the cool, the older, cool boys. older boys. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And so Jimmy's loaded the car up. He comes back in and Paul's like, Hey, Chris is going to go with us. And Jimmy's like, okay, great. Oh. And so, they all go get in the car. Um, Paul is driving. Jimmy's sitting in the passenger seat, and Chris is sitting in the back. Chris is so excited to be in on whatever they're doing. They head out of town. They start driving south, and they're just driving and driving and driving. And Chris like starts to get dark, and Chris is like, um, what time are we going to be done? I have to like get home and do my homework. Oh. And they're like, oh, this isn't going to take long. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not going to take long. And so, actually, I think at this point, Jimmy was driving. So they pull over. I think Jimmy pulls over. And Jimmy goes, Jimmy and Paul both get out of the car and they go to the back. Chris stays in the car. And they're like, we're just going to check something in the trunk real quick. And so they go out to the back and Jimmy's like, what? Why don't we just just drive him to Wichita and put him on a bus? I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Yeah. And Paul's like, oh, that's fine with me. If it's going to get me my money, I don't care. And he's like, okay, let's just do that. And so... They get back in the car. Now Paul is driving. Jimmy sits in the passenger seat. They're smoking pot. They're drinking. Um, and Chris is really worried by yeah. this point. because It's just getting later and later. They yeah. keep driving. They pass a sign for Wichita that says it's 150 miles. Paul turns the radio up really loud. And then he looks at Jimmy and he said, I can't be driving 150 miles there and back. He's like, we got to get this done. Now I have school tomorrow. What? Yes. And so he's like, we're pulling off here. We're doing this. And Jimmy's like, okay, all right, let's do it. Because he had school tomorrow. Yeah. So they pull off um, in a rural Miami County. They drive down a road until it turns into a gravel road. And then they drive until there's a bridge out sign and the road stops at like Mm. where a bridge used to be. Yeah. They get out of the car and they're like, all right, Chris, come on, come with us. We're going to go out here. We're going to check something out. And so he's like terrified by this point. They turn the car so that the headlights are like shining into the woods. And then they, Paul and Jimmy both grab a gun from the back. Paul had already had his gun in. Jimmy had loaded the shotgun from the house and in the back of the car and they give Chris the shovel and they all walk out into the woods 
and they tell Chris to dig a hole. Oh. So for the next hour and a half, Chris digs a, like a six foot by four foot by three feet foot deep hole. He started to cry because it's late and he's scared and his hands are bleeding from digging this hole. Every time he tries to stop, Paul yells at him. Paul and Jimmy are standing there with guns. He has no idea what's going on. Oh. And he finishes digging the hole. And Jimmy looks at it and he's like, well, let's square these corners off. And so Jimmy goes over and he squares the corners off. And then Paul's like, Chris, why don't you try it on for size? Lay down in it. Oh, fuck. So they make him lay down in the hole. And then Jimmy stands at his feet. Paul stands at his head. They count to three. Paul shoots him once in the chest, chest, like chest or jaw area. Chris starts to try and get up. Jimmy shoots him a second time. And he like is clutching at the gunshot wound. He's trying to get up. And Jimmy's like, Shoot him again. Shoot him again. He can feel it. He can feel it. You've got to kill him. And so Paul shoots him a final time in the head and he dies. God, that poor kid. Fucking terrible. They in the next five, they spend the next five minutes just like in a fog operating like at full adrenaline, just burying the body as fast as they can. They pick up the shotgun shells They put the guns back in the car and they drive back to town. And they go to school the next day. Oh, my God. Yep. And Jimmy can't handle what he's done. Yeah. He's racked with guilt. And Paul is beyond proud of what he did. He can't stop bragging about it to everyone. Uh, Kids know, parents know, but everybody is afraid of Paul. That he could do something to them. Yeah. So nobody had the guts to say anything except for for Layla. Wow. Yeah. Poor Chris. You knew he knew what was going to happen while he's digging that hole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your only hope is that he was so naive and young that he, that he didn't know. But he had to have been he scared. Had, yeah, I'm he sure he was terrified. Yeah, the whole time he's like, guys, I got to get back. My dad's going to be so mad. Yeah. Oh, God. Ugh, it's terrible. So... May 4th of 1981, Jimmy and Paul, or I'm sorry, 1980, Jimmy and Paul were placed under arrest. Mm -hmm. They were transferred to Miami County and they were charged with first degree murder. So their trials would be held in Miami County because that is where the murder happened. Right. So back to Sue Ann. So she's been sitting in an interrogation room for hours. She's like, I didn't have anything to do with this. Ed is sitting there bawling over his, he's just gotten this news that his son has been murdered. um, But he has no idea where Sue Ann is or what's going on. And so detectives come out and they tell him, we're placing Sue Ann under arrest. We believe that she was involved in your son's murder. And he's like, no. 
No, she was his mother. She loved him. She never could have done that. Oh, God, Ed. So they, that same, uh, like in the, I don't know, like uh, four o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, they yeah. place Sue Ann under arrest. And she's like, she's like, oh, can I keep my jewelry on? And they're like, what? Uh, no, you can either put it in this envelope and we'll lock it up for you or you can send it home with someone. And so can she, I keep my yeah. jewelry on? Yeah, so she takes off, like, she has, like, all these gold necklaces on yeah. and her giant diamond ring, all this. She takes it off and puts it all into, um, like, a envelope, and they send it home with, they actually send it home with her friend. Um, so in this mean, in the meantime, before they had arrested Sue Ann, they had brought Suzanne in uh-huh. to question as well. Um, and Sue Ann did not know that she was there. And they're like, do you know anything about Chris's disappearance? You know, we think that your brother and your mother are involved. Uh huh. And she said, the day that Chris disappeared, I was in the car with mom and we stopped at Jimmy's apartment and they had a conversation outside of the car. Um, all I heard mom say was, I'm done You've got to get rid of Chris. Oh, well. And so they're like, what do you think she meant by that? And she's like, I don't really know what she meant by that, but mm-hmm. I just know she wanted him gone. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, great. That's plenty. Thanks. Yeah, it <laughs> sure is. Yeah. And so, so before they arrest Sue Ann, she's allowed to talk to Suzanne Really? And she's like, what did you tell them? And she's like, well, I told them about the conversation that you had with Jimmy um, the day that Chris went missing. Mm-hmm. Where you said that you wanted to get rid of Chris. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I think you misunderstood that conversation. That's not what that meant. And she tries to, like, brainwash Suzanne. Her. Yes. Yep. yep. And so detectives are like, all right, all right, all right that's enough. Like, yeah. They place Suzanne under arrest. They send Suzanne home. So Jimmy and Paul's cases are moving forward in Miami County Court, but they're having trouble with Sue Ann's case. She's been charged in Johnson County uh-huh. with um, one count of conspiracy to commit murder with an intention to add a first degree murder charge as the other cases developed and they were able to maybe get them to testify against her. Yeah. But both boys were refusing to testify against Sue Ann. What? Yes. And so. Ugh. They initially dropped the charges against Sue Ann. So it's a super unpopular decision. Um, Dennis Moore was the district attorney at the time, which I talked yeah. about him. He was the district attorney during the Duffield case that I covered as well. And he was like, we're only dropping this for now. We yeah. plan to recharge her after the completion of okay. Jimmy and Paul's trials. Okay. Because then... We can we can make them testify basically yeah. once their trials are over. Okay, and so but people are like pissed. Okay, so when Sue Ann is charged, she gets out on fifty thousand dollars. I'm so stressed by yes. this whole thing. Okay, she gets out on fifty thousand dollars bond, and Ed kicks her out of the house. Well, fucking yeah. Yeah. When the charges are dropped, he's like, "Oh, you're innocent. Okay, come on back home." <gasps> 
No. Yes. No. Yes. They get back together. Yes. Oh, Ed. Ugh. Yeah. Terrible. Mm. So bad. So, in the meantime, Jimmy and Paul are refusing to testify against Sue Ann, and without their testimony, a conviction against her is not going to be possible. Yeah. So they drop those charges. Ed and Sue Ann get back together. Jimmy pled not guilty, and his trial began in April of 1981. Sue Ann testified at his trial. Okay. But it was, it was decided that she could not testify about the murder. She could only testify about his life leading up to that point. She could talk about his childhood. She could talk about the trouble that he'd gotten into with the drugs and the credit cards, but she could not talk about his or her potential involvement in Chris's murder because it could possibly implicate her somehow. Okay. And it was just, I don't know. I don't remember if it was her attorney that decided that, or if it was like a judgment in the court that she could not. Okay. Um, so she only talked about, she only testified about his early childhood. Very odd. Very odd. All right. Yes. All right. They had Jimmy's statement. His defense was that he didn't have a choice. Yeah. That he was involved in the murder. He did do it, but he had no choice. His mother made him. Mm. It was an emotional trial. Ed testified as well about the loss of his son and how he had tried to bring Jimmy into his house and Mm -hmm. treat him like he was his own and whatever. And, but on May 1st, Jimmy was found guilty of first degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. Paul Sorrentino took a deal. Jimmy was actually offered this same deal and he turned it down. He, Paul pled guilty to one count of first degree murder as an aider and a better. So under that, it carried a life sentence, just like a first degree murder charge does. But it holds the possibility of parole at this time anyway, after only eight and a half years. Wow. Yes. So he pled guilty. Um, In return, he would have to testify at Sue Ann's trial. Yeah. So he was obviously he was uh, sentenced to life in prison, but with the possibility of parole after eight and a half years. Yeah. As expected. Charges of conspiracy to commit murder and first degree murder were refiled against Sue Ann Hobson in June of 1981. So yeah. after both Jimmy and Paul, their trials had wrapped up, they'd both been sentenced, whatever. Her trial began in May of 1982. Jimmy, Paul, and Suzanne all testified mm. at trial. Yeah. About all the stuff that they had talked to investigators about, everything. The, uh, everything Suzanne had heard, the entire chain of events that had happened. The defense called only one like character um, witness. They could only find one. It was Ed. No. Ed testified in her defense. Oh, and Ed. said, I do not believe that Suzanne could have ordered this murder. She loved Chris like he was her own. There's no way she could have done this. What was Ed's deal? I don't know. Okay. I think Ed was probably just... He'd had enough trauma in his life and he didn't super, want to yeah, believe. He yeah. just wanted love. Yeah. 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 On May 11th, 1982, a jury found Sue Ann 
guilty. Guilty of both charges, both conspiracy to commit murder and first degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. Good. Yes. Ed stayed by her side. You're kidding. In 1993, they divorced because Sue Ann was like, you are at that time. He was like 50 years old. And Uh she was like, you need to have a life. This is his version of events. Uh I I would be shocked if she was that nice. But yeah, she was like, you you don't need to be married to me. You need to have a life. He visited her every week in prison. Like, yeah. Oh, my. And I don't even know what to say. to this. Yeah. So in 1993, they got divorced and Ed became very involved in a support group. Parents of murdered children. Okay, it's a group that meets. It's all obviously pretty self-explanatory all yeah. people whose children have been murdered um, he was very involved in the group they did panels they went and spoke at schools um, right all all kinds of stuff and it was just like a grief support group as well right he became like the co-leader of the group he was very very involved until in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s they found out that he was actively arguing at Sue Ann's parole hearings for her release. Oh. And they asked him to leave the group. Yeah. They're like, we cannot support you if you are arguing in support of someone who's convicted of murdering your son. Yeah. Yeah. And he was asked to leave the group. So that group actually came to our high school and spoke to my sociology class, the parents of murdered oh, children. Oh, really? Yes. And I remember at the time, so Mr. Johnson was my, my sociology teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have him too? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and he told us at the time that Ed Hobson always used to come on the panel. And I was like, Oh my God, I know that case. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what happened a couple of years ago. He stopped coming. Oh, <gasps> turns now out, you know, he'd been asked to leave the group. Wow. So, yeah. So, He argued, like, at eight of her parole hearings. Uh Uh-huh. And he, even after they got divorced, he still continued to visit her. He refused to move on. Yeah. He continued to stay by her side. He believed 100% that she was innocent. And Jimmy and Paul committed this murder on their own and that she had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Um, Jimmy was paroled. In 1999. Wow. Yep. Okay. Paul Sorrentino was paroled in like in the 80s, 2004. right? Oh, why'd he stay in so because long? Because he was not a great prisoner. Okay. And he, like, he was, he thought he was great, but he was not. Just because you're eligible for parole. Yeah, it doesn't happens, mean you're going to get it. does not mean you're going to get it. Because while he pled guilty, he played down his role. He was yeah. really not. And Jimmy claimed full responsibility for his role in it. Yeah. Other than the fact that he said he didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, which I imagine to some degree, he thought he didn't have a choice probably. See, I feel like there should be an extra little special law to yeah. this where you solicit murder. Okay. You go away for this many years. Yeah. When you involve teenagers mm-hmm. in the crime, you should get some years added for yeah. that because that's, that's yeah. insane. You're yeah. exerting your power as an oh, adult yeah. over teenagers. Yeah. Um, Sue Ann Hobson was denied parole eight times. Each time Ed went to her parole hearings and argued for her release. And at her ninth hearing in 2011, she was granted parole. 
She was released from prison on February 25th, 2011. Gross. She and Ed remarried. No. Yep. And today they live in Sue Ann's childhood home in Prairie Village. <gasps> Ew, no. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You are kidding me. Mm-mm. How can they afford to live in Prairie Village after it's all their that? Parents, it's her childhood oh. home, so I'm sure it was just left oh, yeah. to her. It's an estate thing. Yeah. Wow. Can you believe that he's still fucking married to her? No. No, I can't. There's there's something wrong there. I 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. But he's convinced himself that she had nothing to do with it and that she was wrongly convicted and wrongly imprisoned for 30 years. At her last parole hearing. Wow. Um, Ed, at that time, was living in the Prairie Village home. Uh-huh. And, like, the Homeowners Association argued at the parole hearing about her well, being yeah. released and moving into yeah, their they neighborhood. they want her to come back. Yeah. Wow. Oof. I just cannot imagine being supportive of someone who was convicted of murdering or mm. ordering the murder of your child. No. Like, yes, maybe she didn't she didn't actually pull the trigger, but yeah, it never would have happened. But I, I think he probably doesn't believe that's true. Yeah. He's convinced himself that she was not involved. God, this is creepy. I do not like that you did this because now like all these people are like in our area, right? So Paul and Jimmy both live out of state. Jimmy lives in Texas. I don't know where Paul lives. I couldn't find that. Okay. Um, but yeah, Ed and Sue Ann live in Prairie Village. I could have ran into him at my Prairie Village grocery store. Ugh. Oh man. I, I'm freaked out. It's a creepy ass case. Yeah. That's my first true crime book I ever read. That is weird. Yeah. So my dad um, is like the same age as Jimmy and Paul were. Yeah. He graduated high school in 1981. So um, he knew of Paul, didn't know him well, but like it was the big thing to hang out the skating rink. And so he like Paul was at the skating rink all the time. So yeah, my my dad knew of him. Yeah. That's my crazy. My final Johnson County case really went out with a bang there, didn't I? You really did. That was horrible. It's horrible. And I've got to pee now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That was so good. So good. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. You so the, the book, book is Family Affairs. Oh, boy. I brought it so that you can look at the pictures yes. in it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, maybe go back. No, the so the back one is. Um, if you go back a page, mm-hmm. like go back a page. That's forward. No, but I'm I'm excited. I'm <laughs> so that's uh, Sue Ann and her first husband, and then baby Jimmy. Okay. Sue Ann was very pretty. Oh yeah. Man, Paul Sorrentino was hot. Yeah, he was very good. He was like a super good looking guy. Okay, this creepy picture of her of, here where she's yes. posing in her handcuffs. Yeah. After she's been charged with murder. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, 
Oh, this is so disturbing. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the show that I watched on it yeah. is a show on ID called Evil, Evil Stepmothers. Stepmothers. <laughs> Gee, why couldn't you say the name of and the show? the episode was called Hit Mom. So well, yeah. I couldn't tell you anything about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That was good. <sighs> so Johnson County series has come to an end. Thank God. Yeah, I can't talk about how dangerous. Although, um... How many cases did I do? Six from Johnson County, I think. I bet I could go on a spree with KC Mo. Don't um, you think? Four of them happened in the eighties, so it's much safer now. Is it? Is <laughs> no, it I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's lighten it up a bit, let's. shall we? Yeah. So it's our anniversary episode. Yes. And we have some thank yous. Oh my gosh, we wanted to do like some thank yous, some shout outs to people who have been like. Really supportive, um, have done awesome things for us. Um, hold on, I'm, I'm stalling because I made a list and I can't find it now. <laughs> okay, so first, the very first person we have to thank is, of course, the gaming, the gaming historian, <laughs> Norm himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's been super instrumental to uh, everything with he's this been podcast. super supportive. He has. He's been super supportive. He got a set up. Oh, great. Peanut loves him, too. And thank you to Peanut, who barks <laughs> regularly in the middle of our episodes. <laughs> From, like, figuring out our sound stuff, because we had so yeah. many sound issues in the beginning. He worked really hard to figure that out for us, because it really bothered him a lot more than it bothered us. You know, it's one of those things, like, you don't know how bad you are Oh yeah, in the moment, because I remember listening to our early episodes at the oh, time yeah. and thinking, it sounds great, what? No, it sounds fucking terrible it if you go terrible. back and listen yeah. to it. It um, sounds so bad. And Norman was good enough to tell us that it yes. sounded terrible and yeah. to say, maybe we need to buy two microphones, yes. not just <laughs> one <laughs> that's pointed toward yes. Kristen. <laughs> Super shout out to Norm and yeah. everything he's done for us. Yeah. Amazing stuff. We also wanted to, to thank Gerard the Completionist, who has done a lot for us. He's done yeah. shout outs for us. And yeah, huge thank you to Gerard. Huge thank you to the Super Beer Bros because they've given us a bunch of shout outs. And yeah, several really mentions. Out. And Gerard sponsored an episode. So that was awesome. Andrew Lippins also sponsored an episode yeah. this year. So thank, thank you, you to Andrew. Him. Yes. We want to thank Titmouse Animation Studio. We do. Yeah. Okay, so it's one of those weird things. I mean, obviously, we're a small podcast. So when we get, like, all of a sudden someone follows us on Twitter, you know, I get the notification right away. I go in, usually I'm a creep, and I look at the profile, and I kept seeing Titmouse Animations. Like, all these people in the Vancouver offices yeah. were listening. So... Thank you, thank guys. You it's guys. just That's so cool. awesome. Yes, thank you. We also want to thank the group of girls um, in South Africa who listen to us regularly. Yes. They messaged us. Um, you guys have literally put us on the charts in South Africa. So. Literally. Yes. <laughs> yes. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank my sister, Casey, who made our logo. Yeah. 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 So our, our amazing logo. And we were like, hey, can you make us a podcast logo? And she and was then like, sure. we told her nothing else. <laughs> and she made our amazing logo. So, yeah. Casey, thank you. And everyone who has made us fan art. We've had like some of the coolest stuff. Um, man, we love fan art. Oh, man. Makes us so Bob excited. Moss, the flasher guy. 
the uh, St. What's-It's-Butt postcard. Yeah. Our cartoon versions of us. Yeah, which we've printed out and are hanging in our offices. (laughs) Yes. We appreciate it. Amazing stuff. And then anyone who has sent us an episode suggestion, even if we haven't covered that case, like, thank you for taking the time to do that. Like, we love it. We've done, several of our cases have been from episode suggestions from you guys. So please keep sending those too. And thank you to people who already have. Yeah. Um, and then really anyone who's taken the time to leave us a rating, leave us a review, send us a message, mention us on social media. Thank you. Yeah, we it's so cool. Yeah. I mean, did you ever. OK, so let's go back in time. Yeah. But I just remember like we started it and kind of had no idea what to expect. Yeah, at We're like all. Um, 12 people will probably listen to this. And then yeah. like we're getting. I just, it blows my mind. So we're getting like, re- we just got reviews this week from the Netherlands, yeah. from New Zealand. So it's cool. Amazing. It's so, so cool. cool. So thank you just to anybody who's listening to this and listening to our ridiculous tangents and, I don't know, finding they're a all, way to laugh at it. They're all relevant, Brandy. <laughs> Damn it, Brandy. And thank you to you, Kristen. Yeah. Go ahead. For Go on. editing the episodes. <laughs> no. And also, I mean, this was your idea. So. We literally wouldn't be here without I, you. I was so sweaty McNervous <laughs> because I remember coming up with the idea and thinking, oh my gosh, I want to do this with Brandy. Yeah. And I remember telling Norman my idea. I didn't say I want Brandy. And he goes, you know who you should get for that is Brandy. And I remember like kind of freaking out. Yeah. Because it's such a huge ask to be like, do you want to come over to my house every week? Yeah. And research something every week. Right. And, like, it's just a huge time commitment. And I was like, man, if she says no, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and you responded like immediately. Yeah. Like, sure. It's been so fun. And without getting too cheesy, the best part is getting to hang out with you all the time. I feel the same way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Seriously. So, uh, Thank you guys for listening to a year of episodes. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Oh my gosh. Here's to many more years of episodes. Yeah. And yeah. Hopefully we'll have plenty of ideas for future episodes. We, we just talked about this. What were we saying earlier? So we were sitting around eating our cake. Yeah. And like how sad it would be if one of us was like, and I'm done. Yeah. So we've made it a year and uh, this is my last episode. <laughs> Never. I would be devastated. I would be devastated. If you came in and you were like, I'm done. I would be devastated too. Because so. yeah, this, I was thinking about this last night. Like it has been so much fun just to do this. Yeah. It's been yeah. a blast. I don't know what yeah. our end game is here, but I, I don't either. But I'm having it. a good time. Yeah. So. <laughs> and we hope you guys are too. Oh man. Thanks for putting up with our ridiculousness. We do. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. I don't know how you guys listen to me laugh every week. Oh boy, it's just terrible, it isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so fun. Please continue to listen. I mean, if you want to. If mm-hmm. you don't want to, that's fine too, I guess. No, Brandy, be a good salesperson. Oh. Listen, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, remember what we said. If you listen to episodes more than once, mm-hmm. your skin gets clearer, brighter, yep. and uh that hair thicker, more lustrous yes that is the truth mm-hmm. um these claims have not been verified by the fda <laughs> <laughs> hey the federal government is in shutdown now they're not monitoring any of this 
Good things will happen, yes. folks. Um, seriously, thank you to everybody who's listened. And uh, please be sure to be sure. Be sure to <laughs> join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the LA Times, the Associated Press, Newspapers.com, People Magazine, Gizmodo, and Wikipedia. And I got my info from the book Family Affairs by Andy Hoffman, The Pitch, United Press International, and an episode of the ID show, Evil Stepmothers. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff.